Make it, make it, make it, boy, we gotta make it. You can save your hand, I ain't gotta shake it. Everything lined up for the taking. And what I need from him, no favors. Click too big, bread, gotta break it. Cause these others low key with the snake infecting. Everything lined up for the taking. And what I need from him, no favors. Alrighty. What's up, everybody? It's Matt. I am the host of the MBM podcast. If you're a regular listener, thank you for joining me again. If you're a new listener, welcome to the podcast. This episode, I sat down with Randy Pike. I did a little differently. Usually, I sit down and do the whole show in one shot. This time, I recorded the opening. I had intended to put it as a one-shot-and-done situation, uh, but Randy and I, you know, we got talking so good, and, and, you know, we touched on so many subjects that it just... I ran out of time to put it all together in one big shot. So hopefully you guys enjoy the episode. And, of course, make sure you uh, like the Facebook page, share the Facebook page, um, interact with the Facebook page as much as you can because that's how I know what you guys are doing in RC. Send me a message on Facebook if you want as well. You can find me there. Send me a friend request. I'll accept it. Um, and that's that's it. Enjoy the show. If you take a step to you will take my breath away So I'll keep you close and keep my secrets safe No one else has ever loved me No one else has ever tried I never understood how much I could take Then I saw the worst was over When I laid my right. We're back. Short little break there for you. Some good old Corey Taylor and Stone Sour there for you. I kind of wanted to put that on because uh, there's some new Slipknot out. I don't know if Randy's heard it or not, but I, I don't mind it at all. I've Unfortunately, I shouldn't say unfortunately, I've been listening to more rap lately, and I don't even know if you can classify today's rap as rap, like from, you know, the 90s and that. Um but unfortunately, I've been listening to it more and more lately, and I, I just don't know why it appeals to me more than anything. I go through these kind of things. So I don't know. Have you heard the new Slipknot, Randy? I think I've heard some of it. But yeah, I've, I've been listening to more country music lately myself. I was just trying to get my attitude check. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I kind of did that, too. I was in, yeah, I was, I don't know what it is about country. You find the right, like, playlist of country music that just kind of gets put together. It's not terrible. Well, I'm kind of old school, plus I'm a little country, so for me it's pretty normal. But, oh, okay. For yeah, me. I've been listening to a lot of like Jason Aldean and some of that stuff lately. See, I don't mind <clears> that. <throat> I got a, fr- a really good friend of mine that's way more into country than any other kind of music, so I get to hear it a little more often. My wife does not like it at all. I don't have such an issue <laughs> with it, but I, I just kind of roll with it, right? As long as it's not like, uh, yeah, I won't even get into that. There's this whole thing. Have you you've been on Facebook today, right? Yeah. Have you seen what's happened in Canada? No, what happened in Canada now? Well, apparently now, Baby It's Cold Outside is an offensive song, so it won't be played anymore in Canada on the radio oh, or anywhere. Oh, good God. I know, no, right? I think the, the last thing I thought was some, some, of the, some of the PETA posts, so they're saying that like some of the things offensive for some of the, the food and the songs or the name of the songs are, yeah, we're, we're all going to hell. This oh, is man. <laughs> That's what I keep saying. Oh, man. I'm glad I only yeah. got hopefully like another like uh, I'm gonna go hopefully another 60 years left and then I'm out of here. So that's what I'm gonna yeah. do. Yeah, 94. <laughs> we'll go with 94. 94. Good number. 
So as many of you might recognize, this is the one, the only, the Randy Pike from Tekin, team manager uh, for for them. And we've had him on the show again because we have some questions. And I love Tekin. I'm sorry, guys. It's just, it's my favorite stuff to use as far as speed controls are concerned. And even motors, because I've got a spec R that's just a rocket ship. Um, I... I I don't know what else to say. They're great. I've encouraged more people to update their software because I did that after our last conversation. And I need to tell you that whole, um, you know, active drag brake. Yeah, that yeah. that is that is some pretty awesome stuff, man, especially when you get it dialed in and you're able to drive without actually having to brake. Yeah, it's cool, right? Dude, like, if I would just stop braking the front end of my Yokomo four-wheel drive buggy, I'd be laughing. The car is ridiculously quick. I just can't drive what the, it. What are you braking? A, a arms because you know. I'm I'm trying you're, to I'm you're trying a board to tapper. Well, I'm always trying to cut the corners as sharp as possible, and while unfortunately my judgment and the speed of the car don't agree on where I'm pointing it, and the car usually loses. Yeah, you gotta get your your car driver calibration sorted out. Yeah, hey, that's what I keep telling everybody. I have an amazing car. The driver just sucks terribly. Yeah, I have that condition sometimes yeah. too. Well, for me, it's yeah. most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, Randy, what's new over at Tekin? Because uh, you know, I know you guys are always working on something, and, and things are are coming down the road. Um, anything new we we should be looking for? Yeah, there was actually some new products released in the uh, gear guide that RCR Car Action puts out every year. And it's kind of funny because I expected to see a little bit more p stuff posted about it. But I guess a lot of people just don't read it anymore like they used to, I guess. And yeah. a lot of products got overlooked there. Um, the RSX Pro is probably the biggest one on that list of things uh, for racers. Anyway, so that's coming out here actually in the very near future. The team's been testing it. Uh, that hopefully might even get released by the end of the year. Time for Christmas. Hey, um, at some point, yeah. Um, hey, so man, if you're of... if you're saying just in time for Christmas, it's only December sixth of time of recording. By the time I put this up, this is going to be December probably seventh. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know uh, exactly how fast we can get them shipped out in distribution. So we might be cutting it close, but no, regardless, it'll be there for you know to power everyone's Christmas kits. So hey, that's man. kind of a nice thing. So that's still awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so um, the good news about that, some new features on it, some uh, redesigned solder posts, which I think everyone will be really happy with. Uh, makes soldering even easier than it was before, which is kind of nice. Um, and then obviously it'll be equipped with the latest software, which you've been kind of playing with, is the new 272 with active brake and uh, active drag brake features and, and all the adjustable drive frequencies and the typical software you'd expect to come from our stuff. Um, so as a high voltage BEC and all that fun stuff. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, obviously we still have all the servos, a lot of people are still finding those right now. Um, and, and that's, that's nice because that's such a different, different servo. If you haven't got a chance to try one of those and your buddy's got one, try driving the car. I mean, hopefully it's a similar car what you drive, but I can't stress enough how much, how much different they, they feel for the good thing. There's a lot more control to be had. So it's kind of yeah, nice. It's kind of really hard to describe that to people. Like just having that like positive connection feeling to the car. You know what I mean? Like. I had to drive a, a loner last April uh, in four-wheel drive because, of course, I broke my Yokomo driving like a, a madman with it. And uh, it, it it obviously didn't have the kind of servo I ran in it. It had another brand, and that's all I could feel the whole race was just it felt disconnected. Like, it wasn't there. I would turn, and the turn-in would be a little later. It wasn't like what I'm so used to. It's really hard to describe to people until they get, like, a servo that lets them feel that feeling. And then it's kind of like, whoa. This is way different, right? So, 
Yeah, yeah. The Honda guys have actually picked up on it quite a bit lately. So we've, we've won a couple of races recently on the East Coast. Uh, Mike Gee, our team driver, he won some stuff in the Super Sock Touring car, and he's always in the hunt for early in the races he's in. And a lot of guys have, and the Automatics teams have kind of grown over to the, the Tekken Survive having driven his car. And it, it just, there's a different level of precision there. It's kind of hard to explain and put in context because, you know, everyone's so used to service being so much similar to each other. But that, that digital encoders, it, it gives us the opportunity to do some things. That, that 0.2 degrees of control is, is very precise. And so that's where it feels different to most people. A lot of servos typically will, you know, like let's say you're required, you know, you're asking for 35 degrees to the right. They'll actually skip past it and then come back to 35. So they'll overshoot mm -hmm. because of the speed where we can see that stop point coming and then hit the brakes immediately as it hits. So we're, we're kind of ahead of that in that sense. It's a little bit more lack of a better term logical at that point because we're not having to wait to go past that point knowing that we hit 35 degrees. We see 35 coming. You know what I'm saying? You don't, yep, you don't have yep. to see that value. So that's where this comes in to be a little bit different. Um, I think I notice it most on high grip. The higher the grip, the more precise the servo feels. You can you can feel it where it's a lot more important. Because on dirt or something like that, you have the natural slippage of the, yeah. of the car. But when the, when you're on super mega grip, carpet, astroturf, things like that, you you feel everything. Every little thing matters. And the car is ultra sensitive right at that point. So the, the servo becomes a big deal. So on carpet, for example, I'll turn my, my sensitivity down, which is the way the servo reacts to correction. So I can actually not necessarily numb it, but I can make it slightly less sensitive. So like you, for example, if you, you're clipping corners, your, your car's just extra sensitive, you can go into your servo setting and turn that down, and it might make it easier to drive. Yeah, because I've, so I've, I've been fortunate enough to be given a servo to test, um, and it's a shorty. And I'll, I'll tell you this, if you've seen how low my dual rate was turned down on my four-wheel drive buggy and how hard it was still turning, yeah, it, it's a little next level. Like, I, I've, I like faster servos because I, I, I would rather turn them down than not have enough. Yeah. Right? So I've always yep. went into everything with that kind of premise. I'll find the fastest servo I can get with the most amount of torque to fit the application that I'm using. And, and be suitable for it, but I want the fastest one every time. Where my, you know, my buddy Mike there, he would order slower servos because he was like, no, I don't need anything that quick. And then I'd drive his cars and be like, whoa, dude, how can you drive this thing? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so, but I got a, I got one small little tiny little mm, about the Tekken servos. Man, what is it with not sending the, does it cost more to send it with a cord to program the damn thing? So, though, that um, was kind of a weird it doesn't well of course it costs more right the, the cord's probably going to cost a couple i'll bucks, pay it but i know yeah but the thing was at some point it's, it's like we had this conversation with the the bluetooth hotwire when it first came out for example is that it, it, for the guys who don't have a gen 2 or gen 3 because obviously the generation 2 hotwire got discontinued yeah do we do we include the cable and we got to the point where as a team we all agreed it's like okay look the chances of them buying a bluetooth hotwire most likely means they have the latest and greatest stuff anyways most likely they are going to have it right so we didn't include the, the cable there the other thing was is that if we include the cable with all the servos we're presuming everyone has a hotwire there's a lot of nitro drivers that never buy a hotwire so that's why we didn't include this the, the cable with a servo because you know like yourself for example if you don't run nitro like i don't for example i i, I have a hotwire I have plenty of them, right? But it's just uh, yeah. if I was a regular racer and I raced nitro only, there would be no reason for me to get a hot wire, even for the servos. True. Because typically, traditionally, there's been plenty of programmable servos out there, you know, high tech, Futaba, KO Propo, 
you know, they're all programmable, but yet you never hear about anybody doing it. You know, like for the, for example, I used to run KO. So KO, you can actually use the radio to program the servo, but you never see anybody doing it ever at the track. I played with it, but most people don't. So the nitro guy, they're just going to pull the servo out of the box and stab it in there and line the horn and go. Like yeah. <laughs> so for that reason, we didn't include the servo. Damn it. Why do you always got to make sense when you give answers? <laughs> I thought for sure well, I had one there. It's not bad. We did consider it, but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, how many people are actually going to utilize it? How many people are actually going to take advantage of this? And the argument was basically, you know, even if it was half, you know, we would rather keep the cost out of the servo and, and that way the prices are a little more easier to swallow and, and do that way versus, you know, having the cable in every single servo. Because that's the other thing too is like, then you'd have a million of them. Yeah. Every, you'd have a hundred of them. Yes. I see what you're saying. Yeah. All right. so, fair enough it is on the website I'll give you it's that one bucks. it's like four or five dollars for the harness so yeah. yeah it's it's not it's not too too bad no and in a pinch you could probably make one yourself if you had very, to. very true I'm not gonna lie I did luck at doing no. that anyway yeah <laughs> um, so so part of the one of the main reasons why I kind of had I was totally on board with somebody's suggestion having you on again is you know, we're at that point in the year where, you know, as it's called silly season, where everybody is trying to get a sponsorship just because they race RC cars and they figure they deserve one because you yeah. know, they finished first once. Um, but what a lot of people in, don't realize in, is, is in novice. right. <laughs> they don't realize the, the amount of work and effort that go into having a sponsorship. Now, I I'm very, very fortunate to have the kind of sponsors that have believed in me, even though I'm not. Uh, you know, a racer at even an amateur level, in my opinion, if I went to some of these bigger races, I would probably be so far down in the class list, I would be nobody. And I'm totally okay with that. But I love this hobby so much that I've put an effort into my podcast, my social media presence, and, and trying to hopefully convey to a lot of people that I have a decent understanding of knowledge. And if I don't know, I know the people that will can get them the answers. Um, and I love the fact that Tekin is embracing that idea of these, uh, I'm going to call myself an ambassador, like an RC ambassador, versus these pro racers, these people that have, you know, social media presences and, and everything like that. And, and you guys are getting behind that idea and, and looking at that as a sponsorship opportunity. Now, I'm not trying to convey to people that if, you're, if you don't race RC at all, this is for you. What I'm trying to say is that if you race RC but you're not the greatest performer, but you have a lot of people on Facebook, a lot of people on Instagram. What Tekin is kind of talking about doing is, in my opinion, the next level, right? It, I'm seeing it more in big motorsports currently because I've been making a transition into getting a little more active in, in uh, snowmobiling. So I've been seeing that side of it where there's it's more of they want ambassadors. They want people that just use the product and embrace the uh, quote-unquote sledding lifestyle and, you know, our positive reinforcements and – I, I got to say, Randy, you guys, in my opinion, are at the forefront of it, and I, I'm going to say congratulations because I think you're going to have a compete, uh, an edge over your competitors because of it. Yeah, it sounds like you're talking about our snapshot thing that we yes. requested this year. Yes. Yeah, okay, so <clears throat> because of the RC just industry changing, right, it's been changing. It's always in a constant evolution anyway. So right. A lot of manufacturers are kind of going to this almost direct sales model, so – Doing part of that is where they're sponsoring a lot of guys that wouldn't traditionally be sponsored. Uh, for example, yourself, we use you as an example. Here. Sure. You love the hobby, you're into it, you're always helpful, but your race results might not show you as being like the top guy in your region. Right. And historically, that's always been part of it, right? You always want to have the fastest guy. He's always going to be here putting your products on the podium. And it'd be kind of like sponsoring, you know, me for racing quads for a living, 
right? I race, I drive quads, but I certainly am no racer for quads, mm-hmm. right? But it's one of those things if I'm more willing to help, there's there's a balance there. So I've kind of traditionally talked about it being there's, there's race horses and there's work horses. And then I, I like a nice combination of those things on the team because there's plenty of pro drivers, for example, that either aren't as approachable as myself or don't know the product as in depth as I do. Conversely, I might have a club racer guy who might be top five. You know, I mean, he gets on the podium from time to time and everything aligns, but for the most part, he's never on the box. But he knows the product extremely well, and he's actually more helpful than the pro guy is or the fastest guy is. And mm-hmm. that looks, you kind of look at it, since I've owned a hobby shop, I've owned a racetrack, I've done those things. I need a little bit of both. As, as a manufacturer, I kind of want a balance there because Absolutely. granted, the pro, the pro guy might get me the box wins and give me the ability to promote that stuff online and social media, but is he actually going to be able to help my customer? Well, that might be, you know, a different person. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, you know, it's, it's, we do have pro drivers that do have a, a great balance of that. Luckily, even for Tiki, I can rattle off guys like Drake, Lutz, Born Horse, J.R. Mitch, you know, Martin Harrison, uh, Nathan Epley, a, a whole slew of others that, that are that combo package. Mm-hmm. You know, every one of those drivers I just rattle off very quickly is able to put their, their car on the box at any given time at any race they're actually at. And they know their product well enough to help support customers at the track. So that's nowadays moving forward with what we're doing because uh, the, the, the companies that we're competing with nowadays are kind of, I wouldn't say flooding the market necessarily with sponsorships, but you could almost call it that. They're, they're very, being very aggressive. They're, they're not really holding a lot of standards that I would consider to be held to sometimes. Mm-hmm. Traditional standards, maybe is how I should say that. And so because of that, we went the more mentality of like action sports this year where show me what you're doing. You know, it might not be that you're you know, and even competing necessarily, for example, like the rock crawler guys. Those, those competitions are such a different pace, a different feel to them that it's more about having a good time, enjoying fun with your buddies, taking some sweet pictures, blasting up Instagram with that stuff. And there's a benefit to that. You know, there yep. is that, that kind of look at this, check out what they're doing. That looks like a lot of fun. You know, hey, I like hiking or I like mountain biking and maybe I got hurt. So I'm going to look for another hobby. In the meantime, I'll pick up this because it looks rad. And, you know, you get that different genre kind of cross mix. And so if you can get that cross population going, there's a, there's a huge benefit to be had. So instead of requiring the traditional racer resume as a requirement this year, we decided as a team internally to say, give me a snapshot. You know, what, what could we put that in? It could be some cool video that you took, some cool, you know, photo collages. I've had, you know, like 1,600 pictures sent to me in a Dropbox, or I've had guys post up private YouTube videos for me to review uh, with cool music and editing and stuff that I can't do. Um, all <laughs> back to the traditional resumes, right? So yep. that's, it wasn't, it was, it was more of a broad ask versus a specific, hey, I need this, right? Because I mean, as a racer, a resume, I'm used to looking at those hundreds and hundreds of years. So yep. This gave that person who maybe doesn't have that strength as far as their racing pedigree goes, but they have a lot of fun doing it. And, you know, they have families out there doing it. They're having a great time. There's still a benefit there. And so this year we're having a we have a rep team that's basically going to get the full factory support. They're going to get a discount on the products like we typically offer the team guys. There's just a little bit less restriction. They're not going to be required to do monthly race reports. They're not going to be required to send me speedo setups every time they go to a big race and do good. You know, we do want that stuff from them, obviously, but there's there's a little bit less responsibility on that side as yep. far as the, the, the black and white concrete contract. You've got to have it every 30 days or this is, you know, you're in trouble for this or that kind of stuff. It's more about the fun side of RC. Which, which we feel is a big part of the grassroots section of it, where everyone doing it have fun doing it still. And and those guys typically are even the ones that are just in it, right? Like, like for example, yourself. 
you learn the settings, you go out to the track, you play with things, and if someone says, hey, I need help calibrating this, my speaking, my TK speed controller, my radio, you're going to be able to do that in like 30 seconds. Yep. Yeah, just can bring it over here, no problem. I love doing that. I'm not going to lie to you, Randy. Lately, like the, the most recent race I went to uh, last month, I race directed and raced, but at one point I was kind of like, I was having more fun just walking around, talking to people, seeing if they needed help with anything. You know, I was kind of like, I was like, man, I know I'm here to race and, and, and race direct and have a good time. I said, but like, it almost feels like racing is like a backseat to, to having a good time and making sure everybody else is having a good time. I, I'm not sure why it, it's shifting like that for me more. Like, don't get me wrong. I still love racing my cars, but I just, I like seeing other people do better and having the help that, that, I necessarily maybe missed or, you know what I mean? Cause I've had help yeah. along the way, but you know, there have been times where I'm sitting there at my table, just looking at my car going, I don't know, man, no idea. Yeah. So, and that's, that's the cool part, right? I mean, there's lots of those guys out there that might not, yeah, they, they enjoy that aspect of it, right? The camaraderie that everyone's having fun. It's kind of like, for example, yeah, you're not that guy who you're just killing it. You're, you're pulling fish in like every 20 minutes and your buddy's over there struggling and hasn't had a bite all day. And you're like, dude, let's see what you got. Like, what are you working with? Well, for what's going lure? on on the what's end wrong of that with you? Yeah. Exactly. Like, do you have bait on here? Like, what are you doing? So, <laughs> and it's okay. I mean, that's that's the that's the fun part, right? That's that's bringing people in and sharing the enjoyment. It's, it's kind of like going to a movie sometimes. You know, if you don't like the movie, then you can get up and bounce. If you're at a racetrack, you're trying to have the fun, but if you're kind of lost... It's nice to have someone come over and say, hey, dude, what can I do to help you? You look frustrated. Yeah, because all it, all it takes is even if you're having a rough day and you can't, say, string even, you know, five consistent laps together. And then somebody comes over and just gets your mind off it. You go out there and then you have a good run. That changes the whole day. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I, even some of the biggest races I've been in, like I remember years ago I was at the IIC, Scotty's Race in Vegas, and I get call, I hailed over the PA system and it's Scotty. He's like, yeah, I need Randy Pike over to tech, blah, blah, blah. So I come running. I mean, he's like, I need you to run. I'm like, hurry up. We've got some racer having a problem. And I literally go over to this guy's car. And he's panicking. And I know this kid. And he is panicked because he did something to, during tech. They wanted to check something the speed controller from the receiver and had not realized he plugged it into channel three. Oops. So his speed was flashing all the lights. They think this thing's blown up. They're all freaking <laughs> out. The tech thinks he did something wrong. Like he thinks that you know he's getting like he's almost thinking he blew up the speed controller for the guy. And I'm like, okay, no big deal. I look at him like, okay, dude, it's just plugging in the wrong channel. Turn the car off for a minute. Plug it into the right channel. Powers up. Everything's fine. And huge sigh of relief. The guy goes out and has a good qualifier. It's that stuff that we kind of want our team guys to at that level to know because, as you know, our speed controllers are actually really smart. Yes. There's, there's plenty of diagnostic codes. You know, <laughs> for example, if it's unplugged from the receiver or if the speed controller doesn't see a signal, it just flashes all the lights. It's really simple. Hey, like you, all the lights will flash. You know what's saved in my in my bookmarks inside of Google Chrome on my phone? Hopefully the LED tree. Damn skippy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Anytime um, somebody says, hey, this isn't working, I go over and see flashing lights, I pull that up if it's a Tekken speed control. and like I, I personally, I'll do it no matter what speed control it is. I'll take the time to go on Google and look for somebody because at yeah. the end of the day, I want to see them get out there and race. But then I tell them, hey, you know, if you had a Tekken Speedo in there, I would know it like that because that's what I run. Yeah, no doubt. Trust me, I know how to, I know how to radio calibrate hobby wings and radio speed controllers too. So it's just one of those things that that actually reminds me of a funny picture. So we were at we were at the April Fool's race last year, and I kind of got in late. I think I got in like Thursday night, really late. And the next day, this kid comes to the controller, and I'm like, okay, yeah, bring it over. I'll take a look at it. And he brings it over here, and it's, it's a hobby wing. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay, well, what's going on with it? I really don't know this that well, but you know, I'll, I'll take a look at it. And, and it was funny because. 
the live RC guy that was there, Bob, took a picture of me working on this of guy's course, car. Yeah. And it had a it had a Huawei speed control and I think it was a Trinity motor at the time. <laughs> and there was a little they got the, the picture got out to to my boss. He's like, What are you doing? I'm like, I'm just helping the guy out. He's like, But and it's a hog wing. I'm like, yeah, I can. It was just a sensor harness. It was no big. To, to get to that conclusion, I actually plugged this motor into my car and spun his motor to check the sensor. sensors. Sensors. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was kind of an inside joke for quite some time. But the picture went around the internet for a while. It was just like, what the hell is he doing? I'm helping out a racer, dude. It's not a big deal. Yeah. So Simmer, simmer. You know what's funny is, is like I said, I've been, I've been looking. Um, I'm not going to lie. I've been kind of making a shift. Uh, like I work for a transportation company delivering food for my full-time uh, income. And I've been making a transition to want to, uh, to move into marketing uh, a little bit more and content creation a little bit more because it's something that I kind of naturally come across. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's easy for me to do. Yeah. You've got um, a natural effect and affinity for it. Right. So I've been looking at kind of shifting into that more, more, more recently. So I start listening. I, I'm kind of, when I, latch on to something i'd like to digest as much as possible in such a very short period of time so basically for like the last month i've been listening to a lot of uh, it's called the sponsored rider club podcast and basically it just talks about how to obtain sponsorships more in motorsports than anything but what's funny is is it it it, it keeps going back to everything that is in RC, like the same idea, you know what I mean? Like you got to be active, you got to be doing it. You know, you, you're not going to message a company or email them and say, Hey, I'd like to run your equipment and never owned it ever before in its life. So, oh, yeah. you, you no. know, people got to remember that, like you, you need to have some history with the equipment. And my first Teak and speed control was purchased because it had a sensor tester like built into it. I'm like, why wouldn't I want to run these speed controls? I can check the sensor in my motor at any time I need to, I can do it for other people. Of course, right away yep. I'm thinking of how I can help other people with my own stuff. But it, it's funny you mentioned that, like the, how you checked it. Because I've done the same thing at a race. I'm like, hey, who's got a Teak and Speed Control we can use for a minute that's easily accessible? Because mine's not. Like, so yeah. No, I mean, it, it's one of those cool features that it kind of is one of the many features of our stuff that goes un, unnoticed or overlooked is the sensor checker feature. It's, it's a pretty slick setup. I mean, literally. Yeah. You can check your own stuff. You can crack anybody else's motor into your speed controller and just spin the shaft by hand and check the sensors. And it's it saved a lot of headache. I mean, it's, it's kind of a cool part about the whole thing. It's just <clears throat> if if people take the time to learn the stuff, which is the whole point of being a team driver, is that you, you need to take that time. Like you're saying, you have to be in it. So I've had instances, obviously, over the years where team drivers are calling me up or tack, text me in a panic. Oh, my car's doing this. My car's doing that. I'm like, okay, calm down that's a fault code. Like your, your fans plugged in backwards, for example, or yeah. that's the low, that's a low voltage fault. Like yep. one, three, five flashing is there's the battery's dead. Are you sure? No, I just, I just put that one in there. Well, the no, speedo no, no don't joke. lie. Change that thing out. <laughs> I, I will leave his name out of this and he will know who he is. If you ever listen to this podcast, <laughs> I got a phone call at like, I think it was seven thirty in the morning from the dirt nitro challenge in Arizona. If you should pack. And he's like, Oh my God, dude, this is happening. So I'm like, okay, you calm down. What's the car? What's the speed of show? What are the faults? He's like, Oh, uh, looks like one, three, five flashing. Like, dude, battery's dead. No, are you, it can't be. I just replaced it. I'm like, did you replace it? Or did your pit guy replace it? Well, hold on. And you can hear all the rustling in the background. You can hear me on the screen. Hey man, did you replace the battery in my car? Blah, 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 blah. He's like, no, I might have forgot. <laughs> like, you know, sure enough, you hear them rustling. You hear the battery replace. You can hear the speed controller reboot in the background. And it's just like, Okay, cool. That was it. Cool. No problem. Thanks. It's like, dude, you're, and he'd been on the team for a couple of years. Oh, geez. Right. 
Yeah, so I, I usually I, wait till like it's the last ditch efforts. Like, okay, I need to send Randy a message. I don't know how long it'll be till I get an answer, but I'm gonna send him a message. Yeah, no, and it was it. it all, all joking aside, luckily at the time I was up. I, I tried to sleep in sometimes when I can, but yeah. it was just funny because he should have known better. Yeah, this particular driver should have known better. <laughs> it wasn't like his first year with us and hadn't got a chance to learn at all because dirt tractor challenges, you know, the first big eight scale race on the schedule most of the time every I know. year. So that's. It's January, February when this guy started playing with that stuff. So maybe if he was a new driver, he hadn't learned it yet. That's one thing. This guy's been with us for a couple of years. He probably should have known better. But either way, it's it's all fun at some point. But yeah, it's, <laughs> that's a big deal about this rock team thing we're pushing this year. So we really want a, a good base of people at the grassroots club race level that know the product. And yeah. they can help the, the customers that, that are just learning it for the first time. And we've gotten a lot of feedback from the dealer network saying, hey, you know, we, we take a lot of their opinions and, and, and make that part of this equation as far as choosing people because we want them to be comfortable with the drivers that we choose. And obviously that part of that driver's job is to help promote sales to that particular shop or track. Absolutely. So it's it's a big deal that, that they know that stuff. And that dealer even knows who they are identified-wise. That's why we have a we have a team driver map on our website. So you can go to that map and find out where these drivers are and you see their driver's profiles and I have to update those every time we change we do contracts. And that's nice because we will say, hey, look, you know, such and such dealer will call us and say, hey, we're having some kind of weird issues with these programming. We've got a couple guys that are struggling with it and we know this is, we don't think this is normal. I'm like, okay, well, where are you guys at? Oh, we're you know based off of so-and-so and out in you know, Georgia. I'm like, well, hang on for as I have and I'll pull up the map because this is a Google map that we, we program. And I well, I got three drivers out there. I'll tell you what, they're not on their, their normal home track schedule, but I'll talk to him and see if he can't come by. And you know, he can either swing by and help these guys out or they can do a little quick teaking clinic real quick. And it's worked out pretty cool. Um love it. That we that we can actually send the drivers to these tracks that maybe they aren't necessarily on their regular schedule, but they'll they'll go make the trip to, to take care of some customers, which is really cool. Awesome. All right. Um, one second. I'm getting a text from my wife for requests from the grocery store, and I need lunch for tomorrow, folks. So you're going to have to give me 30 seconds to reply to this text message. This is when you hit the commercial button. Uh, now, yes. we're from our sponsors. Actually, that worked perfect. We're going to put a commercial in right here, and then we're going to come back and answer a bunch of questions because I know it's going to take us forever to get through them. We'll be right back. Okay. Cow RC, the radio-controlled maintenance king since 2008. Providing the RC community with the world's best pit mats, park trays, performance aerosols, and much more. Through smart design, superior performance, and 100% made in the USA, Cow RC products are a real value. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Follow Cow RC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or order direct at cowrc.com. Save 10% with code IMOVE. That's code I-M-O-O. CowRC. Maintenance King. All right, welcome back, everybody. I know, no music coming back. For, I just can't play that much music for you guys tonight. That's ridiculous. One of these days, that's going to... I'm waiting for the day to get, like, an email from one of these companies saying, hey, you've used music from our artists on our label. Please remove all of these from the internet immediately. <laughs> <laughs> if the podcast suddenly goes away, you all know what happened. 
Fair there warning. You go. Actually, you never hear this, so you'd never know. Uh, let's get into it. Uh, I'm going to go with the first question that just came in. We just literally got one five minutes ago. Uh, it's from Chris Bedwell. Uh, he, he goes, another question, but we didn't read your first one yet, Chris, so we'll just go with this. Uh, does Tekken still service older ESCs? I have an OG Tekken RS that just failed. It depends on what's wrong with it. Some stuff can be re- repaired. The, the concern here for us has always been that if we can't repair the controller back up to 100% performance, then we'll recommend replacing it with a new one. And that's unfortunate a lot of the times. Let's say, for example, they heard the reverse polarity and they blew a whole set of fats, for example. There are some of those that that we can't fix without like really diving into the board and taking it apart. And then the end result might not be 100% stable or might not make 100% performance. If that's the case with that kind of failure mode, we would recommend just you know upgrading to an RS Gen 2 or an RSX Pro or or an RS Pro Black Edition or something like that. And, those and that's really depends on. Yeah, but like if it's a a sensor port that's having an issue and we can rebuild the sensor port circuit board or pull it off and, and do that stuff, we will. But a lot of times it's <clears throat> unfortunately if it's like a, again back to the set of blown fets, which is the most common failure, that we most likely can't fix and give you a a 100% speed controller back. That's when we'll recommend, you know, you, you get a huge discount for that, by the way. So if you're trading an old, you're an old a generation one RS and you want to get anything else, you get a nice discount going under the, the service program and you get a nice brand new speed controller, the fresh warranty, and everything out the door, just like you bought it at a huge discount. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. That, that's, yeah, that's usually the best option most of the time. I don't know like there's old, too many manufacturers that offer that. Not anymore. I mean, there used to be, Novak used to have a program that's really similar to that at some point. Um, but unfortunately, they're no longer with us. I know. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we we appreciate everyone who's you know bought a Tekken in the past and continues to run them. I mean, even at the last big race I was at, I saw guys still running the first generation Arms Pro. Oh, I see lots of them when I'm out there. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's there's not too many speed controller companies on the market that say, "Hey, I made the speed controller ten years ago." And, oh, by the way, it still works. It's, you know, the expert stock classes, and it's you know still hard to beat, and it's ten years old. There isn't any other manufacturers that can say that kind of stuff. This it doesn't exist. It's just us. Yep. So, <clears throat> yeah. So yes, it can be repaired. It just depends on what the failure mode is, and what it, we'll recommend after that. If and if not, you're just gonna treat it any anyway for an RS Pro Black Edition. You know you want one, Chris. It's worth every penny. You won't regret it. You'll be the happiest guy in the world. Grin ear to ear when you're out there. Promise. <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah, it's they are. Brand new black. I ain't gonna lie. The first time I stuck that thing in my car, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure I took a picture of it and said, "I don't even want to solder on it." You guys got. I'm pretty sure I sent you a message and told you guys guys got to figure out wireless wires. Yeah, I remember that comment because <laughs> I didn't want to <laughs> solder on it. We're, we're a few years out from wireless power. Yeah. Yeah. Wire- <laughs> I need wireless wires right now. <laughs> That'd be awesome. All right, John Mead. What is Randy's craziest RC experience? Oh yeah! <sighs> Dig deep. Craziest, craziest RC experience. I don't know where's my wife at. She's in the office too. What's our craziest RC experience? <laughs> where no one got arrested. Maybe Oops. Like... <laughs> well, she's not listening. She's got her headphones on. Um, I, I've been around some pretty crazy stuff. I mean, I've seen stuff that's probably shouldn't be repeated on the line. But like, for example, uh, we all went out to dinner one time. I'll leave the names out of this, but one of the, the best who is still constantly racing, uh, a good friend of mine who's been around for a long time, uh, goes, we all <clears throat> went out and had some adult beverages after dinner, and we found a cowboy bar 
and all proceeded to uh, take turns riding the mechanical bull. Oh god! That, or that that probably wasn't advisable at the time. So <laughs> it was like we were, it was it was probably in the summertime, probably July, August, and we're all walking around with flip flops and shorts on. And so you can imagine a big group of RC guys walking to this hillbilly bar. You know, I, I was probably the least out of place, but it was pretty funny to watch everyone hop on this mechanical bull. <clears throat> no one got hurt too bad at the thing at the time. I think someone sprained her wrist. Was about the worst of it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, all the to doing silly stuff like gluing people's cars to the table. I tried oh, to reframe oh, that's pretty dirty. Oh, that's not. Oh, you haven't seen those? Oh, yeah. No. Uh, oh, my. The, the, one of the best races you used to have, some of the most clean shenanigans, was always the Cactus Classic when it was outdoors. Okay. Because across the street from that was an adult store. Oh, God. <laughs> so you can imagine what kind of shenanigans we could all have. You, know, you go down the street and go get some Panda Express for lunch. And, oh, by the way, we're going to go you know, get some lubricant and then go mess with someone's car or oh you know, glue something to their car that's completely inappropriate. Or... <laughs> uh, so, yeah. That sounds like fun. Some... It, it was fun. Uh, but gluing someone's car to the table was always hilarious because you know, they'd have a, this, you know, that track was pretty abrasive. So a lot of times the tires were only good for a run or two. And you knew they were shot, so they would literally CA glue the guy's car to the tire. Or his pit board. Oh, I've seen my. cars pit board. And there's plenty. If you get on YouTube, I think the last guys I saw do this were the Techno Boys. And I can't remember if it was Lutz's car that I glued <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised with those guys. They are a bunch <laughs> of... Uh... <laughs> what they screwed up on this was that they actually glued the dude's chassis to the setup board. Oops. So they couldn't get it off. Oh. They had to, like, get in there with screwdrivers and break it off. It was pretty funny. <clears throat> But yeah, those are, those are all the ones I can talk about. I've seen lots of shenanigans, though. Oh, yeah. I've, I Listen, the craziest RC experience for me, we weren't even at the RC track. It was just a bunch of RC people. And all I'm going to say is Muscatine, Iowa. That's it. The people, <laughs> If the people that were in the room that evening hear this show, they will start laughing hysterically. It was just terrible. It was nice. funny, but terrible. All right. So I like the next question from our good friend Jeremy Dre, longtime listener. He's been on the show a few times. What's up, Jeremy? Uh, best way to approach a company for an event sponsorship, other than you know an event flyer or polite email request. Like, is there a certain way that if somebody wants to get, say, your attention to sponsor an event, like a race or something like that? What can they do to say, "Hey, I'm a little more interesting than dude with random, you know, plain text email." Yeah, no, this is this is something I deal with quite often, right? I, I usually handle most of the events that we support through Tekin as well. So uh, I like to get all the facts right away. Um, so one thing I have a little bit of frustration with when I deal with this is that you kind of get a general email for guys just kind of feeling you out. And for me, I, I'd rather just, just send me all the information so I can make a judgment call, right? Give yeah. me the event flyer, the particulars, the who, what, when, and where, the race, because I've even had to ask questions about that. Like, hey, this race sounds cool, but where is it actually happening? Because <laughs> like the track the address isn't on there or the actually even name of the tracks not mentioned. Oops. I've seen race events sent to me with, there's no date on the flyer. So there's, they're just presuming that here's the biggest mistake being made with all these event requests. You're assuming that I have the time to go click on every link or do Google searches to find it. Mm-hmm. That, that for me is annoying. And so when I have to balance out these, these hours in the day that I have doing all these jobs that I do, it's, it's one of those things where don't make me chase it down. If you have a Facebook event, you know, page for for the event. Cool, give me the link. Say, here's my Facebook page for the event. If you're doing RC sign up, for example, and I I, I want to know what kind of entries you have, give me the link. Say, hey, we've already got 112 entries. You can verify verify that here. You know, 120 entries and growing. 
So the guys that, that do the, the psychonitroblast and the AMS series, it's a group of guys that do the same. They do all those races together. They do a phenomenal job of that package when they send it because they have all that, that, all that data in it. So if it is your first time supporting that event, all of your questions are answered without having to ask a question. So for me, that's what I want. Give me the particulars. If you have an event post page or you're doing a Facebook event, give me the link to it. Tell me how many entries you expect to have, the classes that are being raised, who the current sponsors that are already supporting the event are, you know, and then what you're going to do for us if we support the event. A lot of times you're like, oh, everyone, the typical stuff, right? Hang up the banners around the track. That's all pretty normal stuff, but it's still nice to have it in writing, yeah. what we can expect. Um, Scotty Ernst also does a really good job of his packages. I mean, that's Scotty's job. It's what he does for living his promotion. So this just really clean and crisp. And, and that's what I'm looking for. And, and if you don't have the event flyer, which is something that I see a lot of people do, they're, they're, uh, they're always building it, right? Give me the draft. Yeah, whatever you got I, at the time. Yeah, show me what this is going to look at. Because what I want to be able to do is if I support the event, I'm going to turn around and do a social media post and post your flyer stating that we're supporting this race. I want to give you guys a return on even asking us to support the event, right? I want to give your track a shout out because maybe it's not well known. And for Tekin, we've got, I think it's 25,000 plus now on our Facebook, our, just our Facebook page alone, as far as, you know, people who, who follow the page. So I have a reach that I can help you help your race get bigger. Yeah. So it, it's, it's one of those things where it needs to be balanced and the support's got to be there on both sides. And then what I really appreciate, and I don't get often, often enough, is a follow-up after the event's over. Like, here's a link to all the podium pictures, or, hey, they're up, they're up on their Facebook event page. Here's that link again. You know, the, the prizes went over fantastic. I mean, again, some guys are better at this than most, but when I we have an events at TNT can email, which is where everything goes. If you go to our website, there's an event request page that has a form to fill out. That way the particulars are pretty well stated. And that generates an email to go straight to me, and it has most of those answers done. But... The mistake is, is, in general, is always not giving me enough information. If I have to hunt it down, your chances of us supporting it start to drop a little bit, which sucks because the grassroots racing is what we're about. Yeah. You know, we're into sponsoring those. And we try to mix up the races that we support throughout the year because we want to give a support to a race that didn't get it last year, but maybe we think deserves it this year. And so the more information you can give me the first time I get it, the better. And, and make sure you have your actual name on it. Make sure you have the track info, the date, the times, classes being raced, expected attendance. You know, none of us can ever gauge like how many people are actually going to show up to these races. But if this is what your expected attendance is, then give me an idea what that is. And be honest about it, right? If it's the track that's in your backyard, I, I'm going to find out, right? The first thing I do typically <laughs> is if I'm not familiar with the track, don't laugh. This happens all the time. Okay. I will, Google, I will Google the track. And I'll find it, and I'll get on Google Maps, and I will satellite images, bad boy. And I can see that if your truck's parked out back and this track's in your backyard, that's not a bad thing necessarily, for example, but I need to know that. Be honest. For example, one of the biggest tracks that I've been to that's in a backyard of family's house is Stateline RC. Yep. The Nationals been held there multiple times. It's at their house. Mm-hmm. They put on this, this amazing event, yet at first blush, if you didn't know any better and you got like a halfway you know, crappy event support email, you wouldn't touch it. No, I know. But, right. But knowing the family, knowing what they've done there is phenomenal. So that's what I'm getting at. And it just, I think the biggest thing is when, when someone like me who's been around for a long time, if I start smelling something wrong, and chances are I'm going to find it. Yep. And that's, that's just a bad thing. Just be honest. You know, hey, it's a brand new race for a brand new track. I'm hoping to get 60 guys. That's fine. That's cool. You know, we'll still send you an event pack. We're going to send you some banners. We're going to send you some shirts, some hats, some hoodies, a couple of lipo bags, just whatever that event looks like it needs. Yeah, and well, and anytime I've dealt dealt with you on stuff like that, you guys have been great. 
you know, so yeah. it's, it's not, uh, it's not overly difficult, Dre, if you just uh, fill out the, the form, make sure you have everything ready to go. Um, you know, it's kind of funny that he posted asking about something like that because I've been trying to kind of want to run, put on a race here locally for me. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out the, the location and everything like that. And the more and more I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make it happen, the more and more I realize that if I do this, I'm not racing that day. I'm going to give everything I have to putting that race on for everybody because I, I don't know if I'll get a chance to do it again. And if I do it, I want to do a big, you know, it's kind of yeah. like, and it's kind of like everything I do. I kind of said to my wife, for whatever reason, any hobby that I get into, I want to do it to the fullest extent of my capabilities. You know, I may not be able to be, uh, you know, a Ryan Cavalieri or an Adam Drake. I, I may never drive like those guys, but I want to be part of it in a way that I've helped, like those guys have maybe helped other racers or, or what the hobby in general, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I'm realizing very quickly, and this is kind of a heads up to anybody out there. If you want to put on a race, that is awesome. But don't think you're, you're probably not going to have time to race that day. If you really want to make it something that everybody's going to remember. And that's going to be, you know, if you're reaching out to Tekin and you're reaching out to, you know, all these other companies to support it, you know, you want to hand them back something and say, thank you for supporting it. Look at how awesome it was. So, yeah, I, I've always wanted to, to do a big race on a cruise ship. I think it'd be awesome. Well, that'd be kind of nifty. I bet have you I like could a, convince my wife to go on that cruise. Yeah. How many of us can convince our wife oh, to go on that man. cruise? That'd be fantastic. Randy. Five or six day cruise. What is it every time you come on the show, you come up with more and more ideas? The last time it was a box stock two-wheel drive class, which I still completely agree needs to happen even more so. Um, big time. But now now a cruise with a race on the cruise? Dude. It'd be fun. You it'd just tell awesome. me what cruise we're doing this on. I'm there. Yeah, no, I think it'd be awesome. I, I George Foreman guarantee it. I got to talk to Scotty Ernst. All right. Say, yes. That, that is the man to do. Yeah. Just make sure I know about it really early. As soon as you start talking about it, that way I can just tell my wife, "This we're going to this. End of story. You want to go on a cruise? Here's your cruise, dear. An entire cruise ship full of RC racers. Oh, my goodness. It'd be hilarious. Uh, We're lucky if we don't get arrested. That'd be fun. Well, hey, hey, maybe we can just convince the captain to get out in international waters. We're laughing. Yeah, we probably have to. That's probably what would have to happen, actually. They have those those cruise ships out of Florida that go out off the international waters. You can go gamble. We probably have to pull off something like that. Yep, exactly. Don't go to jail. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. All right, on to the next one. John Carlson. This was the best one. This is the one that got a little bit of a laugh. Do you agree that stock two-wheel drive should be slowed down? Say 21.5, maybe even 25.5. Also... Uh, that the sponsored racers should step up to mod. Um, if back in when I started racing back in the eighties and stuff like that, that was what stock was. Stock was a class to get started, go around the track, win a couple races, and graduate to mod. I think unfortunately, um, this has changed quite a bit. I think mod is too fast for your average racer, uh, which is why four F thirteen five is such a huge class right now compared to four mod. It's just different. It's, it's just fast enough to get in trouble, but not too fast where you're excessively wearing out tires or drivetrain parts. And of course, just shearing off the entire front end of your car versus a broken arm. So, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, it is, for what I have mod nowadays, it's ballistic. I mean, we're running five fives. We're it's running not, short lithium batteries. These things are just rockets. Yeah, no, and it's yeah. not for everybody, right? Even for me, it's, I can drive them, but not like Mayfield, for example. No, I'm still dude, a second off the track. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, and I'd be like seven or eight seconds in mod. Like 13.5 is my wheelhouse. It's plenty freaking fast for me. 
Right. And so you get enough guys on the track that way. It's like now I'm just in the way. Like even if yeah. I make the A main, I'm still planning on when I'm going to get lapped. It's not yeah. if, it's when. <laughs> yeah. And if I don't get lapped, I'm pumped. Like I just won the whole thing, right? I'm like, yeah, I didn't get lapped. So it's, it's, <laughs> I think there's, there definitely needs to be a transition class. And this is something that actually Jason from J Concepts and I have talked about, but multiple times before is that it's, it's just hard to do because you could do a 21.5 tour drive buggy class. Uh, they do that at the IOCC with the hot wing stuff, and it works really well. And you're not really supposed to have sponsors in that class. That's kind of what it's designed for. Um, you know, it's 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 a good transition class. I think the speed is relatively okay, but it has issues still with it, which is back to my idea of the original box stock classes. You still can do all the upgrades. You can still mm-hmm. throw ceramic bearings in it. You can still throw all the lightweight parts in it, the pucks, the, the slipper lockers, the whole nine. And so it's not really controlling the cost of it necessarily. Um, and you're still, if, if it's a if it's a open motor thing, that's still, I'm okay with that because I don't like having you know, this specific brand for this, you know, this class is only this. Um, that's how Europe does their on-road stuff for the series races that they do over there. It's just one system all the time. Um, for big races, I think that might be okay. But for the, the club racing, I would think it's more better to do this. Do a class where you spec out the tire, you spec out the a certain list of motors and stuff that are approved to run, the ones that are are known to not be having issues with them as far as legality goes, um, or that just you want to give your customers a specific set of motors they can change and they have to run that motor for, say, the rest of the year. And then that way it's not the latest and greatest and who can afford to buy the latest motor versus the guy who can't afford it. Uh, you spec the tires again just to kind of control costs a little bit. Um, and remember what the class is for is to have fun. It, it, you, stock buggy is fine to have. Uh, Jason does this in his his, uh, his J-Concept series races over Florida, which is there's an intermediate stock and an expert stock. Ooh. So intermediate stock is no sponsors, right? Oh. They still, to the best of my knowledge, they let them do the upgrades, but that's not what it's for, right? And if you're right. going to race expert stock, now you're talking full bar. So it's very close to my stock buggy class rules in the sense that they aren't controlling everything necessarily, but I think they're controlling the idea of who's in it. And obviously, if, if you're at that race, I'm assuming that Jason probably does what I would do, which is if that guy's 20 seconds up on everybody in intermediate stock. You yeah, you're go, going up, and, buddy. And that would have put him in like the middle of the A yeah. in expert stock. See you just be like, dude, that's, we're going to just drop your qualifier in expert stock. Congratulations, yeah. you're in the A. Yeah, home, home slice. You need to be an expert. Don't be. We, yeah. we had to do it, uh, you know, when we first started racing here locally, we actually had to do it with the young guy that was in, in novice, Kyle Johnson. Uh, he was racing uh, a low C22 buggy, two-wheel drive buggy in novice uh, with short course trucks and any other thing that could get out there in novice class, right? Mm-hmm. And his poor car was just getting beat up. And we said, uh, Kyle, you know, I know it's intimidating to race with us, but you need to come into like the regular buggy class. You need to get out of that novice class because it's 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 not doing you any favors. You're much quicker than the rest of them, and you're getting tangled up because you can actually drive a line, and they're still trying to figure out how to get the car around the track, which isn't a bad thing as a novice. But I think you're ready. And sure enough, he moved up, and man, he made us all kind of have a little bit of a reality check and go, okay. <laughs> We, we all need to step our game up a little bit, or this young gentleman is going to make us all look real, real silly. <laughs> so. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, I think long term, it would be nice to have a, a transition class. Back in yeah. the brush days, there was 27 turn and then 19 turn came out, which is really cool because you kind of got a mix of the, the super hardcore fast club guys would kind of get mixed in with the pro guys at the big races. Right. And you got to duke it out that level, but that was pretty awesome. But I think right now, if 
two would I bug you since that's what we're talking about. You can't go 17.5, 13.5 mod because 13.5 is just too fast. It's almost mod to begin with. Yeah. So dude. you really need to have a, a little bit slower motor. Yeah. 21.5s are fine. What bothers me about it is that they're still going to have to put fans on it. They're still going to push the gearing to the moon to the point of failure. So yeah. if I did it, it'd be 21.5 and then it'd fix the gearing exactly how Scotty does with the IOC. Mm. So he, he limits the final drag ratio. Oh, he you does. Can only, yeah, you can only gear up so tall. That way, you're preventing them from damaging the equipment. I need to give him a high five. Yeah, and we did the same thing for the on road. The IIC, his his spec GT class is exactly the same way. Hmm. There's a ceiling. Now you can gear lower, which a lot of guys in the on road class when we used to sponsor that and we used our motors, they did. They very much geared them lower and actually went faster because we had the data logger showing that it worked. But hmm. you know, on the off road stuff, it, again, giving that gearing ceiling limit. That's helpful because now you're saying, hey, look, you really shouldn't have to run a fan on this motor. It's not working that hard. Let's then focus on car setup, putting a bit of sweet laps, time after time after time. And then once they get used to that, then they can graduate to the 17.5 class. So it's it's definitely something that would work. Um, it, it'd be like doing the same thing with a 17.5 motor. You could take a 17.5 motor and force them to run zero degrees of timing on it. And it would actually be very slow compared to a 17.5 that we run today, just wicked up to the moon. Yeah. What I like about that option is that the case is that when they want to graduate to the next class, they don't have to buy new equipment. Huh. So huh. that's 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 how I used to push it. So when I ran my, my, the local track, I had those guys running box stock class, which had the exact same rules I've talked about, which I, I need to send those to you so you can play with them. But basically, I have them. They, no, no, you send them okay. to me in Skype. Okay. I have them, and I looked over them, and I was just like, oh, man. So basically what they do. But it, it's, it's one of those things where they had to run. I got them a sweet deal on a Tekken Gen 1 17.5. But a verse 17.5 motor that Tekken brought up that was censored, back then we did boosting. So the motors didn't have a lot of mechanical can time. They only went up to like 24 degrees. Right. It, which is perfect because the motor only goes so fast. And so they, I got them that motor for 50 bucks. So they bought the motor for 50 bucks, ran box stock. And when, if they wanted to run the next class, I had a super stock class where they could run either a 13.5 or he boosted 17.5. And it was funny because a lot of guys ran the boosted 17.5 class because they didn't have to buy anything. And it was actually just as fast as not faster than the 13.5 in spec mode. That was the caveat. So you had to run 13.5 in spec mode or you ran 17.5 boosted in the, in the, in the super stock class. And so that you would get the guys that would, they might be in that box stock class for three months. You know, they're hitting the track once a week and they're starting to get better and better and better. And once they realize they're a tenth or two off, their lap times go into the, the super stock class and all they have to do is boost it. They just put boost in their speed controller, join the next class, and now they're in the A. So it was a cool transition class because a lot of guys ran that and started off there because the motor was cheap to purchase. They could run, you know, as RS Gen 2. And then once they were ready to boost it, they just changed programming, you know, or even the hobby, we sold those as well. And so it was the, the initial investment carried them from one class to the next. So if I cautioned anybody moving forward with that, I would say, hey, I would suggest 17.5, no timing in the motor. Just take the timing out. Make it a zero-degree motor. It's really, it's not hard to do. And that way, it's also an easy visual inspection because you can't miss that. It's, you know, it's, it's really, the motor's been completely backed off. Just yeah. all the way to go. And then let them run it that way. And that way, they don't have to buy a second motor when they want to transition. Huh. You know, I never thought about that as to sl how to slow down somebody like a novice. Mm -hmm. was turning the can timing all the way down. Yeah, because, I mean, like a spec R, for example, we run them around 50, 52 degrees. Mm -hmm. 
that motor's still fast at zero degrees. It's just nowhere near as nasty. Yeah, I know. Isn't I, it? It's it's kind of funny because my my buddy Dan he goes, hey Matt, he goes, can you help me set up my mod car? And I said, sure, right? Because I've been getting a little bit more understanding of how to really program like a, an efficient uh, tune. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That that works. And I told him, I said, don't worry, wrong. We're gonna have to tweak it depending on the the track. But this should be a good ballpark that should work depending on if it's you know medium, smallish, which what which, what we race on mostly. Mm-hmm. And, and sure enough, you know, he brought it out there and he got on the straightaway, and it was a little longer of a straightaway than we're used to. So it really had an opportunity to stretch its legs in that that topper, the the higher end of the 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 timing like profile I'd given it. Mm-hmm. And I finally had got there that Friday evening. He goes, Matt, he goes, this thing just screams down the back straight away. I'm like, oh, that's what boost does, Dan. Like when you pour it into it, it, <laughs> it, it turns that motor into a hole. Like you think things, I told him, I said, I will not ever, even with wheels on it, on my bench, pull full throttle on anything, whether it's got, you know, cat, nothing. And he goes, why? I'm like, Mm-mm. just sounds like something's going to break. I'd rather it be moving away from me at a high rate of speed if it's going to blow up. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. That's always dangerous. Wide open throttle pulls on the on the bench right there. It's never a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> never a good idea. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean it's it's there's lots of potentials out there. I think that the the one caveat there is, is looking to see what the impact on the consumer at that point. If you can run them, you know, the the Associated had that cool kit where I think they called it the Club Race Kit. Yep. So it was the car, it's electronics, and basically needed a radio battery charger. And that was a great thing because, again, the motor was, I think it was reduced timing. I don't think it was quite zero, but it was very low. And what's nice is if you run low motor timing and you have a ceiling limit for the gearing, you don't need the fan. You don't need all that extra stuff because the motor's never going to be working that hard. It yeah. goes right back to Scotty's premise is that they have to work on driving. That's ideal. I just don't like having a separate motor. That's all I don't like about the 21.5 thing. Plus, the 21.5 motors is kind of a pain in the butt to make necessarily. It's not the best thing. It's, it doesn't really transition from anything else. They run it in that's new stock for touring car. It's still fast. It's still going to go fast. I mean, that's the thing. is it, when, when it comes to racers, we're racers. At some point, we're going to look for speed. We're going to find it somewhere inevitably. So you really need to control the other factors. It's not just the motor. It's got to be everything else. The reason why no one wants to come into racing right now, in my opinion, is if you go look at a stock class car, it's not. It's like saying an NASCAR stock car stock, right? You can't even say that with a straight face. Everyone's laughing at you as soon as you say it out loud. It's not a stock car. You know, there's a million things wrong with that car to not make it stock. So if you really want to control the cost of this, then do what, you know, it, it needs to be a slash class. Look what slashes did when they first came in. Everyone ripped them out of the box and threw them on the track, and that's how you ran the car. Right? You didn't have to run all this extra crap on the cars. So you look at a stock car now, compared to like you and I racing stock, you're going to have to have an eye charger, a resistor bank, power supply. Oh, They're God. 600 bucks. Right? Yeah. I need two or three battery packs, fresh ones. There's 80 bucks a piece. Well, yeah, you got to have the fresh ones because you're friggin' slam them so hard. They're never fresh. Right. And I've got to get a motor. Right. So even if a uh, Tegan spec car, there's 100 bucks. Right. Cool. And I got to put a fan on the motor, make sure I get that. And then I got to have ceramic bearings for my transmission. Maybe a slipper lockout, some pucks, a bunch of lightweight parts, titanium screws, right? Lightweight body. And then and now I'm racing and now I'm into it for like two grand. It's not attainable at that point, right? So you can go into any other hobby to get started in this at this price range. You don't do that. If I want to go get into just RC airplanes at a cheap price point, I can get an RC airplane for 200 bucks and I can be flying it. That's what we're competing with, drones. You can go get a drone for 100 bucks. And you can yeah, go fly. good luck with that. And, yeah. 
I know, but like you, you see, what I'm saying like when you yep. compare it. No, I know, you I know. Hobby shop, you see all these things. That's oh what, yeah, that's what we're fighting against. So stock needs to be just that. It needs to be an affordable entry level class to get into it. Period. If we want to grow the hobby, we need to get back to that. So yes, I can see a class being built for that, but again, it it's got to be more than that. It's got to stop the eye charger nonsense, for example, at the entry level. They need an 80 watt charger. That means it'll charge a 2s battery eight amps. Yeah, I like that. I know you had that deal. That, that yeah. Was a good one. Yeah. I'm gonna so, I'm gonna post those as long as it's cool with you. Uh, maybe. Be my guest. Okay, yeah, cool. Good. I'm gonna hang on to that till next week though, because it's too close to the weekend. I think it'll be missed. Well, maybe we'll get it up Monday and share it all over the place. But let's get on to the next question. Jason uh, Wallace. Well, uh, sorry, it. What's your favorite thing to see in a new driver or a young driver? How fast do you think a new driver should progress as an equipment? RTR or extreme build? And there's C more. Best current class for a new driver, 10 scale or 8 scale? I would think 10th, but. Um, yeah, I think 10 scale just because of the cost involved with 8 scale stuff, but it depends on what they're into. Um, I mean, you don't really see the entry level eight scale race buggies like you used to. Los used to have that one that, you know, I think it even had when they first released it, it even had a pull start, right? So you can get a pull start eight scale and you can run it, you know, it's a 21 engine and it wasn't really a race class like engine, but the car was, it was still a low C eight scale eight car. Yeah. So you don't see those anymore like you used to, mm -hmm. um, like associated have them as well. So eight scales are really expensive when to get started in. <laughs> so I don't necessarily think I would recommend it that way. I think. Two-wheel drive buggy is probably the easiest class to get into. If you can learn to drive that car and drive it well, everything else gets easier from that point on. Yep. Um, it's the easiest to work on. It has the least amount of parts. The tires are the you know, most, most affordable. You can say that sometimes. Um, I think what I want to see out of a new driver is one thing I, I, I would like to see them do is actually understand what they're talking about when they're doing on the car. Learn the car. Yes. Learn what the adjustments do. Learn how to work on the car. Right, it, and it depends on the age of this, this particular new driver. But let's say they're in their late teens, or early twenties. I want you to be able to work on that car yourself. I want you. I want to see you change in shock. Bar. I want to see you change in shock overrates. I want you to to be set in the right height and, and not overlooking the simple things. Right, mm -hmm. making sure your wiring is clean. That's a big deal for for a lot of stuff moving forward. Because if there's if you go to, go look at one to one racing, there's a reason why everyone's wiping down the car. There's a reason why you never see a race car start a race dirty. <laughs> Right. Could you. OK, so I know you've been in RC for a long time, Randy. Now, could mm -hmm. you imagine some of these guys that race actually being having a full sized race car and bringing it to a racetrack in the condition <laughs> they put the cars on? No, no, they wouldn't even <laughs> let you touch the track. I know. Right. They would just if you pull it off the trailer and they'd be like, no, yeah, no, put it violation. back in there. Yeah. We know there's a safety violation, but we don't have to even look. We know something's wrong. Like, just forget about it. <laughs> right. And, and that's what I'm getting at is that I, I want to see that attention to detail. Right. It's, it's, it's like I've been a mechanic for a long time in my years and, and you go look at some of that stuff where you can tell who's who's a professional, who's not just open up the drawers. So like I have a huge staff on toolbox because that's where I did a lot of stuff before I got into RC for a living. So I can open up a drawer, any drawer in my toolbox. And I can tell you what socket's missing, the brand of it, the size of it, the color of it and where it's supposed to be. That's simple. Mm -hmm. If you go look at it if, again, back to one-to-one racing, there's a reason why they have everything organized. There's time. It's resources. Your pit should be cleaned up, right? There shouldn't be tools everywhere. There shouldn't be crap all over it, food and wrappers and oil and grease and nasty stuff because that's going to affect your racing. It needs to look the part. There's a reason why you know, full skies racing, this, everything's done on purpose. There are no mistakes. There aren't mistakes even maybe before the car hits the track. car should look that way. I, it, I think one of the most embarrassing things you can always do as a racer is have, for example, like one of your wheels fall off. 
You know, I can't figure out how that happens to people. Like I see it I, at I, least at I every see. race I go to, somebody loses a tire, and all I think in the back of my head is, "How the hell did you not make sure that thing was on there tight?" Yeah, exactly. And as I'm saying, like there's uh, the other thing is I want to I want to see that basically it's the preparation. Do you take it as serious as you think you do? Because like here's a perfect example of this, and, and this is going to hurt some people's feelings if they're oh listening. Boy, but careful. I went. I went. It's okay. Wait, wait. Time out. <laughs> Snowflakes. Fast forward 35 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. I went to the April Fool's race, and I had not hit the track at an official track of any kind other than a test track I have access to the entire year yet. So this is April, right? Oh, the last race I went to that was a big race was the IOCC the year before. Oh, so there's a six-month gap. Yeah, that's a bit of right? time there, big. There was, but I was doing testing at an Astro track turf. This track, the April Fool's track, that where I say IRCR is clay dirt. I had not been on a dirt track in four months, period. So I was not expecting anything at all, but I showed up with two brand new cars. So the new DTM2 and the new YZ4SF, you know, brand new cars to me. I'd never driven either of the cars. I built them. I'm obviously familiar with the cars, so I had base setups for them, but they were brand new cars to me because I had run the shaft drive forward before that. So I just put my setup on the new car, hoping that it would work. Right. I got two five-minute practices that night when I got into town and slowly had to make changes as I went, but I showed up with a prepared car. Everything was done on the car. The shocks were built, the discs were built in, they were, everything was broken, the slipper was burned in. I had tires mounted already, so I could take advantage of the small amount of time I had to get up to speed. Mm-hmm. I inevitably, at some point, started going faster and faster in the qualifiers, making changes, learning the track a little bit more. And I ended up winning the Fuller F13.5 class, which was awesome. But there have been guys that have been there the whole week. Those guys <laughs> had three days on me. I didn't really beat them just based on the track time, right? Those guys, those guys, I would race with all the time. I love those guys, and they know who they are. But I had showed up with a car that was already prepared, so that's something I didn't have to worry about. Yeah. You know, I hate seeing the guys, and the Honda guys are horrible at this. They'll show up at these big races and build the cars, and then they get there. You just, that's not how you, that would be, can you imagine Red Bull rolling up to the F1 track, first race of the year, and they're still building the car? <laughs> So, hey, man, hey. I, I, I'm not – no, I won't comment on that because I wasn't – going. okay, so when I first – okay, before I got my YZ4SF, I, I had won a B64, and I had been building it, and it just wasn't going to happen. I had a bit left to do on it. I'm like, oh, I'm not bringing it. I was messaging a couple of guys and da-da-da-da-da, and, of course, they all guilted me into bringing it, and I was that guy at the track. I showed up with a car that still wasn't finished and needed <laughs> to finish being built, and I had – yeah, don't ever – yeah, yeah. If I ever go racing with you, I just need one of those like uh, privacy tents so you don't have to see my pit. Because if you see my pit, you cringe. But here's the thing. I could take anybody's car, go sit in my pit, and work on it, no problem. Because I know where everything is. No, if- don't get me wrong. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a thing about knowing your realm, right? That's that's you know, Your pit area set it for you. And if that works for you, fine. But we were asking what I want when I knew racers. I want them to be prepared. Know the car. Right? That's the biggest thing I think of. I think I see mistakes made. So they don't even know what adjustments to make to their what does ride height do going up and down? You know, what does changing my shock oils do for this car? If you haven't even driven the car to try those things and you're just running somebody's random setup, that will only work for so long. Yeah. You've got to get the car set up for yourself. And so, so it's kind of like, you know, gluing tires. It's just one of those things you're going to have to learn to do. So do it. Don't, don't sit there and worry about it all the time. And it's one of those things where anything in life that we do, you will always only be as good as your worst amount of practice at it. You will never really fall back on your worst level of practice. If you don't practice something, like I, I hate jumps, for example, that 
are jumping away from me at a slight diagonal angle where I can't see the downside. Right. Right. That That is a thing. I, if I see a track where I'm racing at and I see that, I just have to take a deep breath and go, oh, I'm going to suck at this. <laughs> but I have to get past it. Yeah. The other thing I don't like, I hate wall rides. I hate them. Not because they're not cool. I just suck at them. Two, two things I, to include in a track layout if Randy Pike ever comes <laughs> to my race. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Yes. But but it's it's just one of those things where I have to accept the fact that it's going to be hard for me to do. Right. But I have to get past them. And it's my fault for not working harder at them. But it's it's the new racers make the mistake of it's just about how the car looks. It's just about the fastest hero lap is another thing I don't like. They can run one lap at speed, but then they crash the other 20. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and then bigger on top of I said the last thing I suppose to wrap that up is – don't take it for granted. If you end up being naturally gifted at doing this particular hobby or sport and you're fast, especially when you're being fast with less stuff, like less of a car, the model year before, or don't always have the latest and greatest motor or don't have the freshest tires, don't take that for granted. And don't make the mistake of saying to yourself, oh, if I was sponsored, I would be faster. That's actually not true. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of guys that would be sponsored. I can give them my car and they're not going to go any faster. Hell, they might go slower. You know what I'm saying? So just, I'd, just I'd break it. Break is fine, but just don't don't take it for granted. Make sure you put in the work. It's it's you talk to guys that have been in this hobby for as long as I have, like Adam Drake, for example. This is the, 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 you go walk into Adam's pit, everything's in place. There's mm-hmm. no thrash fest. He's never super wound up. He's always really mellow. He's done it all. He's been there. He's done that. He's he's done the rushing. He's done the work. That's why nothing surprises these guys most of the time. Yeah. That's why they're so hard to beat. Hmm. I mean, that that's it, period. They've done the work before the race started. You gotta do that. That's that's the has to happen. There's a reason why the fast guys are always fast. Doesn't matter what car, doesn't matter what tires, doesn't matter what they're doing. They can change everything in the race program. And I guarantee they're gonna show up the track and be prepared. Every time. Yeah, silly seasons right now. You're gonna see a whole bunch of names change companies that you did not see coming. Right. If not, if you're not involved in this at this level, and you're going to see those guys, and they're still going to be fast. Well, okay. So, hmm. I want to ask you a question. It, okay. mo- it most fine. recently happened. I know you're pretty good friends with Ryan. Mm-hmm. With the whole Reds OS thing at Worlds. Do Do you have any insight into that? Because I know he took a, a slain on social media over it. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I, I I don't talk to Ryan all that often. He's a pretty independent dude. Um, um, I, I'm, you know, en- enough to to talk to him on professional level as far as the pro tech stuff that we work with him on. <clears throat> I, at that point, a lot of times when you're at that level, there are certain points of the of your your package that I refer to it as though so your your motor, your tires, your chassis, your your car, everything like that. There are certain caveats where if one particular thing's holding up the entire group, so if you've got let's say ten sponsors and one sponsor's product is potentially holding back the other nine, that sponsor typically is going to give way. Now there's obviously a lot of stuff that come on come the, the heels of that. They were giving them a hard time. There's videos of saying, well, he just doesn't know how to tune it. I find all those things quite frankly hard to believe. I think Ryan was doing the best that he could with what he was working with at the time. I just don't think it worked with the combination that he was using it in. And I think he did a pretty admirable job not just yanking the whole engine out and yarding it and just throwing in something else. I mean, let's be honest. If he wanted an engine from Adam Drake, Adam would have given it to him. It's the world. 
you know, he, he did it pretty uh, as under the radar as he possibly could. And I guarantee you there was a conversation that he had with Reds prior to doing it in the first place. I guarantee it happened. So you think so, it was just Reds' reaction to the situation just to, to... – do, do you think I, if maybe the pitcher never surfaced, they would have just went un, unspoken of, and then you would have yes. seen Ryan maybe make a switch to OS this year? I think it was. I think this was an inevitability. Okay. So they were they were both doing the best they could with what they had to work with as and they worked on it together. I guarantee they did. This is probably this was probably no surprise to Reds. I would be surprised if it was. I mean, I'm not obviously in that conversation at some point. I would be definitely surprised if it was. We've we've had other other manufacturers, you know, run our product for example under the radar and hide them. Um, and, 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 and come to us for support when we're at the track. That's not the first time that we've had that, and we don't make a big stink about it. You know, we're certain, there have been certain times where we know they have to run it because it's faster. So it, it, it's, it's one of those things that they probably didn't have. Ryan felt he didn't have a choice. He probably exhausted every avenue that he possibly could because I know him. Right. He's not one to just, you know, do it for fun, and he felt that that was a problem. He probably let Reds know, and that's probably what they asked asked him to do and the problem is with today is with the telephoto lens and stuff like that you really can't hide much no <laughs> and so i think that at that point once that word got out reds probably just decided that that was an opportune time to to separate the contract at that point and i'm sure ryan wasn't surprised i'm sure reds wasn't either you know that's that's part of racing unfortunately it happens all the time i have a i have an old picture of a because Losi doesn't make these anymore, so there's no harm in saying it. I have a Losi Acceleron speed controller with a Tekken RS Gen 2 stuffed in it. I have the photos of it. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! Because they used to, they used to, they cut the decal so they could access the buttons on the controller. Really? But they stuffed, they stuffed the whole speedo in the in the in the Losi case at oh, the time. <laughs> my oh yeah, yeah. And uh, there's another one. There's another picture. I think I have. I think it's the. There was a dual sky speed controller hooked up to a hot wire that someone sent me one time, and there, that's impossible because that's we don't we don't OEM controller for anybody. So the ultimately at that point was they probably just tried to use our microchip on their hardware. That was a long time ago. Oh my. Mm -hmm. There's there's all kinds of wacky stuff that you see out there. And it's it's not any different than like say guys that are sponsored by Proline, for example. This is of course random. And those same drivers are having to run AK answers in the tire because they went for the track. This this stuff happens all the time. The whole point is, is be professional about it. There are always going to be times where we're forced to make a decision to do these things at a race because the, if we, there's a proven known issue where this is slightly faster, and you do it. And you don't say anything about it. You don't brag about it. You just get it done. You go win the race, and then you get you, you put it back. You know you don't you don't make the mistake of say taking a, a podium picture with that showing on the car. That's just the way it works. You know, it's it's it happens in full size racing. It happens in every form of motorsports you could think of, and it's common. But as far as like Mayfield, <clears throat> out of all the, the racers that I deal with today, Mayfield's probably one of my most fun to be around, just because he is completely just like I. He is blunt. He's this is a job. He enjoys it. He has fun with it. He's very passionate about it. But when it comes down to it, he takes this extremely seriously. His whole setup. He, if if he doesn't like it on the car, then they're not running it. There's a reason why Jason and Jay Constance invested so much in Mayfield. Yeah. He's, a, he's the entire package. The dude's fast. He will tell you if it sucks. He's not there to be, you know, super you know, sugar-coated about it. And there's a reason why that's that's part of Jason's equation to make Jay Constance as good as it is. You want a product tested, give it to Mayfield. Let him, let him rip it apart. He's going to tell you it's good or not. 
real simple, really quick. <clears throat> and that's the whole point. I mean, that's you want those guys on your team. Yes. It's one thing that he's that fast, he's that talented to to sit there and and say that you don't think he puts in the work sometimes because maybe you guys don't see him out in public. That's everyone else's mistake. I guarantee you that guy's putting in the work. Guarantee. Yeah, I don't think you can show up and perform at the level he performs at without actually taking the time and effort and putting putting in that, you know what I mean, that sweat yeah. equity, we'll call it. Exactly. Mayfield earned a ton of my respect back in the days when he was racing the very first Roar Electric 8-scale Nationals. So a real quick story here. Racing Electric Nationals via sponsorized associated LRP. That was the package they all ran. And at the time, LRP had an 8-scale Speedo and an 8-scale motor. The entire team was struggling with that package, right? They had a stack of stuff on this one. And it was very, the first Nationals wasn't like a full-on real Nationals. And so Jim and everybody from Tiki was there. I was there. Drake was there running the low-C stuff. Everyone was there. This is what 8-scale Electric was pretty new. And they had like a, just a, a stack of stuff of failed product. And I went over to them after talking to Jim about this. I'm like, dude, I, I want them to see. I want them to race. Let's go offer them stuff. And they couldn't run it at the time, right? They weren't allowed to. So fast forward another year, which is an official Nationals. Mayfield's still running Associated. He's still running LRP. They're still struggling. They're still breaking the stuff. And so Mayfield's he had a Tika motor in his car. And at the time, we, we, had, a, we had a component that we were seeing fa premature failures on on this particular motor, and I knew he had one. So I walked up to him and said, dude, you're TQ. I know you're not supposed to be running it. I, at the same time, I know there should be there could be something wrong with this motor. I want to rebuild it for you. Just just give me the motor for, for, for five minutes. You can stand there and watch me do it. I don't care if you don't trust me, but I, I don't want my part to cost you a nationals over something stupid. And it was like a bearing spacer, something really stupid. And he goes, really? I'm like, yeah, dude, just, just give it to me. He's like, cool, I'll rip it out. And Sean Cochran's there and all the associated guys there, Telkey's there, and they're like, wow, okay, cool. And so I, I rebuilt this motor. I showed them what I wanted to replace, and they're like, yeah, no problem. And you know, then I, I lent a couple of motors out to their the team guys that were running truggy, and they weren't having any luck because they could barely make like five minutes in this thing with a grenade or solder. The, the wires would fall off on the solder and stuff like that because a lot of people misjudged 8-scale electric when I first started. Uh, of how, how much heat, how much torque, how much stuff they would actually deal with. So anyways, Mayfield goes into there. She's TQ, started the A, A2, where they read off all the sponsorship announcements. And he mentions, obviously, on Live RC, out loud on the PA system, everyone, he's got a TQ motor in his car. He didn't have to do that, right? That was cool. And then yeah. at the end of that, he even thanked me for looking at it, which, again, I didn't even ask him to do. Right. So, to say he's a stand-up guy, I can say that pretty confidently. He, he's definitely not one of those guys that just does something because he thinks he needs to and he wants to be sneaky about it. Trust me, everyone knew about that situation going into it. <laughs> Everybody did. And it's, it's sad to see like RC kind of blow it out of proportion. Oh, my God. Stop it. You guys are all – everyone was already aware of that. That happened. And they were probably aware of it before the world started. If that wasn't working for Ryan, he'd already told them. That's just my opinion. I don't know the facts, but my guess is that Reds was very aware of it already. Fair enough. Yeah. Cool. I, You know what? Yeah, just talking about that whole thing, I just wanted to ask. Well, I'm, I'm glad we went down that road because that was the problem with it. You know, part of me wanted to say, oh, well, figures. That's, you know, typical pro level. I need to be the best. And, and then, you know, I looked at the other side of it, and I've, I've, I'm not going to lie. I've always had this, this love-hate thing for 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 ryan I, I love the fact that he is so talented and he's he's you know been in the industry so long and and you know he's a plethora of knowledge and i've seen plenty of instances where he's been great but unfortunately i've been you know uh 
I don't know if it's unfortunate or fortunate enough to, you know, know people in the industry that I can trust and say, you know, well, he did this, he did that, but I'm, I'm no better, man. I've had instances at tracks where, trust me, I'm pretty ashamed of the things that I did and said, because, <laughs> because for that moment, and, and I, I, now I wasn't getting paid to be, to be there like he is, but for that moment, I lost the fun in it and, and. You, yeah. you know what I mean? And and that's, unfortunately, I think it happens for everybody. Even if you're doing a job that, you know, has been your passion and you love it, there are moments when you kind of lose that fun and, and things, unfortunately, take a, a turn for the worse. So I think maybe if I ever had a chance to, to meet him and be around him for a couple of days at a track and, and, you know what I mean, just be able to casually talk to him here or there, I don't think I'd ever come out of it thinking that he's this, you know, big, nasty, you know, bad boy of RC or anything like that. I'd probably come away going, that's a guy that, that loves the, loves what he's doing and he's in it for the right reasons. You know, at the end of the day, like you said, it's his career, it's his job. That's his job. So. No, and I, and I can't, I've been fortunate enough to be around him more than, like I said, some people, for example. I mean, I don't, I'm not one of his good friends. It's not like I went to his wedding or anything like that. But as a, as a team manager, I'm very cordial with him. We talk quite frequently. I run the same cars he runs most of the times now. So we, we talk from time to time. And obviously, the ProTech stuff, we help him out with that. But it was one of those things where I've watched him jump a three foot fence with a wheel in his hand out of his own pit bag because someone else's wheel fell off, right? Going back to the whole wheel falling off. So we were at State Line, Electric Ace Nationals. Dude's wheel fell off his truggy. Mayfield was marshalling it. Jumps the fence, like just out of nowhere like a gazelle. Hops the fence. Grabs a wheel on it off his own deck, off his own bench in a wheel wrench. Grabs a kid's car. You know, kid's probably fixing to have a fit, start crying. Mayfield's like, yeah, I got it. It's like, didn't even hesitate. Like, it, it, he's, he's, he's an intense person. When he's at the track, he's definitely there to win. That's his job. He's very, very focused, right? But at the same time, he's also one of the first guys to drop what, you, what he's doing and help you out. It's just it's it's just a matter of when you catch him. If, if he's if he's getting ready for his race or something like that, that's probably not the right time. Yeah, that's you probably the worst. <laughs> yeah. That's like talk you know going to a hockey game and you know saying to you know whoever the captain of the team is literally as he's about to go on the ice, yo, how's it going? You know, did you have if you know that like he's gonna look at you like, dude, I'm I'm about to go to work right now. Get get out of my way. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. But May, Mayfield's. A lot of people think he's got that bad boy persona, but Mayfield's super cool, actually. I mean, he's he's definitely he's been around it. He's it's not like he's you know a silver spoon fed baby kid that's getting into this. He's some you know taking care of person. Mayfield's worked very hard for what he has, and so in that essence, I respect him a lot. A lot of things he's done, he certainly didn't have to. You know, sticking up for Drake, for example, at the world. You know, everyone saw that, right? Oh, that was amazing. Thing. Yeah. At first, you know, the worst part is I didn't know the whole thing, so I only caught bits and pieces of it. But I I heard him kind of say his piece when he was up at the podium and then shortly thereafter, that's when the whole thing with reds come out and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. something else had to happen. There's no way they let him go after putting, you know, somebody who, you know, let's be honest is yeah. Won't even touch on that subject. But anyway, you know what I mean? Like, you know, after he <laughs> yeah. puts somebody kind of in his place and says his piece, there's no way a company is going to say, get out of here because of that. And then that's when I kind of, anyway. Yeah. So, all right, yeah. let, let's get on with more questions. Cause we still have plenty. Um, and, and this happens every time, but it's okay. Uh, Jonathan Hilton goes, Hey Randy, thanks for the help already given. My TC mod is tracking laps smoother. What would your area setting be for the drag bake if you're running a four and a half on aluminum chassis? I'd want it to feel smooth and not throw the weight transfer too fast. Thanks again for your time. I'd probably start somewhere around 20 on the drag brake and see how the car reacts to it because it, it depends on the car, right? So it also depends on if he's on asphalt or, or, or carpet. So I don't know those things. But that being said, 20 is a pretty good baseline for a four and a half turn, uh, depending on how much boost he's running 
and active drag brake is one of those things where it's, it's very much a driver's feel and it also depends on the car whether it's a shaft drive car or a belt drive car yeah um you know rotary dampened cars seem to roll a lot less for example than they do the the standard shock car so again like x-ray versus auto automatics um in my opinion at least watching them on the track i don't drive touring car a lot myself so um 20 is always a good baseline to start and the reason why i say go to 20 is if you first off drive it without it which you're probably already doing going to 20 is a a big enough change where you will definitely notice it right away, yep. but not to the point where the car is undrivable. So don't do what a lot of people do, which is go from zero to maximum. Like <laughs> I saw a guy in RC Tech do that the other day. He's like, yeah, my short course truck's like doing a nose front flip. I'm like, did you turn it all the way up? Yeah. Well, don't. <laughs> you know, it's it's for someone who's never driven a brushed modified car. I can't I can't tell you how this is going to feel. I'm old. I've done those things. This basically the active drag brake feature started in rock crawling to emulate a brushed motors of a brushed motors motor because that's one of the biggest problems that's always happened in brushless yep. crawling is that your drag brake's happening, it's happening cool, and then all of a sudden you touch any throttle, drag brake <laughs> now is turned off, and the car just freewheels down the rocks and shatters. <laughs> So that's what this active drag brake is for. So in other or, words, or you jam it in reverse, and then it does like this reverse endo donut and rolls down the the rock face into something. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So the nice thing about, about this feature was when we were playing with it, I, Jim says, "Hey, can I, I want you to try this in a race car." I'm like, "Okay, cool." And I went to an Astro Track turf with Astro Tracks. If you've driven on them, it's the same thing. You've got to be very per you've got to be purposeful and your inputs because if you're too abrupt you'll upset the car yes i mean let's be honest traction roll going down a straighter if you wanted to right <laughs> if you're just slamming them on the stop so that's when i started playing with it and so once you get used to it it it's nice because you can literally roll around the track on and off the throttle and control the attitude of the car without actually having to go to push brake so push brake is obviously when you're actually pushing using your finger to push brake input into the controller so on our active drag brake if you're going 100 percent throttle hit the end of the straightaway, let's say there's a sweeper, you typically have to brake with push brake to set up for this car because not everyone rolls to zero. Like I don't ever roll to neutral when I'm driving the car. I'm either on a throttle or I'm on the brakes. What's nice about this is if I'm now with active drag brake turned on, if I go from 100% throttle and I lift to, it only induces 10% of the drag brake set. So mm -hmm. that's usually enough, for example, to nicely roll the car onto the front of the front tires, get that car, the suspension to set, then I can give an input the steering and I get a nice smooth turn at a very high rate of speed. Yes. Which is the whole point. It's amazing. It, it is. It, it is so amazing. Awesome. It is. And so the, the biggest struggle I tell with guys is, is that if you're doing jumping, so if you're doing off-road, you're going to have to get used to how it jumps because it now has a very natural brake arc that you have to get learned. You have to learn to. The honor of guys love it because they're obviously not purposely jumping those cars. They can literally roll around the track with full control. Oh, yes. If you, instead of, for example, <laughs> putting in too much push brake, you have that whole mechanical movement of your finger going back to throttle. And you're having to guess, you know, more or less, to gauge where you're, how much throttle to put the car to bring it back into straightness. Mm -hmm. Right? Where active drag brake on, you just roll your finger back into throttle a little bit. Yipper. There's, there's, the time delay is not there. It's oh, no. really just like a real car. I'm picking up the throttle right there, right now. And once you get used to that, it's hard to give it back. Um, GR Mitch did a really cool test where he was on the track, uh, black carpet, I believe it was, and they had to run slicks. They weren't allowed to run pin tires on it because they ran on-road and off-road on it. Yeah. And that was what they did. And so on that track, the groove was very, very narrow at the time. So you had to be 
on the money every point. Every point had to get hit to get the fast lap. He had his, I think he ran a 6.5. I think a 6.5 two-door drive car, he ran 40 on the active drag. That was enough to get his car to, to basically go around the track without ever hitting push brake. Yep. But that gave him the fastest lap times. Mm-hmm. So that's asphalt car, aluminum chassis, which has got a nice little extra grip to it, less springy than a carbon car. Try 20, and if you like that, try a little bit more. Go up to 25 or 30 and see where your happy place is. And it really depends on the layout, how much transition you want on your trigger. But just don't go to 100. Yeah, <laughs> don't do that. I, um, I end up I between say. 25 and like 38 is the highest I go. I find anything into the 40s gets way too squirrely for me. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same way as well. I think the highest I've ran has been 32, mm-hmm. and that was on a 5.5 wheel drive car on AstroTurf. Um, but that for me worked really well because there are points where I, I want to use push brake like around the 180s, for example, because the setup I'm running is more for the high speed sweeper stuff. But there was one particular 180 where brakes made sense. So it's, again, it's a balance. But I, one of the things we try to do with the Tegan stuff is give you that many adjustments so you can kind of tailor it to fit your car. Yeah. Well, and I find I found anyway that for me, having that that active drag brake actually made the like for the braking for those 180s and like those more hairpin pin corners where you can't just kind of roll off of it and come through it it made the braking more predictable going into them no that makes perfect for me, sense right right oh like, that makes perfect sense because think about that for a minute you're when you're going into a, a corner you're on the throttle Right in a traditional controller without active drag brake, you have to roll all the way to neutral and stay there for drag brake to even work. If you go from throttle past neutral and into push brake, drag brake did absolutely nothing. Right. It wasn't even part of the equation. Nope. With this setup, as you're rolling off the throttle, the brakes are already starting to be applied in a smooth, controlled motion. So by the time you get to push brake, your push brake is not really causing a hitch in the car. Right. You're already rolling just more brake power. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. It makes a ton of sense. It's amazing. It is good stuff. I'm not going to lie. I remember I was telling another racer about it because uh, him and I overheard him and another guy talking about the new Tekken update. And, and the one goes, yeah, I haven't done it yet. I looked over and I said, are you crazy? And he goes, <laughs> what do you mean? I said, what are you doing after you leave here? He goes, well, I'm just you know, going back to the hotel. Right? I said, you need to take that car with you and update that firmware. He goes, oh, I don't know if I want to mess with it tomorrow. I said, just show up first thing and practice with it updated. You will not regret it. And sure enough, like he come back later and he said, man, he goes, that makes a really big difference. I said, I know, mm-hmm. right? Like it's a game changer. It really is one of those settings. It's not a gimmick. Yeah. It's not, it's not putting it over because, you know, you know, because Tekin sponsors the podcast or me, it, it legitimately is a game changer. As soon as I did it on my speedos and I went out with the, that x-ray on-road car that I have, mm-hmm. I just... I could not believe the control that I had. I'd never driven an on-road car before. You know, I knew they, they were way more sensitive. You know what I mean? They're, they're meant yeah. to, to stick and go. And, oh, my goodness. Like, I never had more fun in my life driving that car around on asphalt. And, you know, my cars are usually really fast. Again, we've, we go back to that whole thing where the driver is usually the problem with the equation. It's not the cars or the equipment. It's the guy driving it. Um but yeah, like everybody had been asking about it, and I just yeah, if if you're even inkling about trying out Tekken, you have to get it for the active drag brake alone. It's worth it. Yeah, no, it's definitely fun. Good stuff. All right, Ken Brady, let's go on to this one. He goes, I understand Randy is a very busy man, but why is he not a regular co-host on the show? And he put a big <laughs> big smile. He goes, the last time he was 
on, I ended up investing in a Tekken RS Gen 2 and Hotwire 3, and all I can say is, wow, I'm glad I did. I think we're going to try the, the Tekken 110 or 190 servo next. I know Randy really doesn't have time to be a, regu a show regular, but what a wealth of knowledge he always has to share. Thanks for bring bringing great shows and guests on. And he said Matthew Helson. So thanks, Ken. I appreciate that very much. Wasn't really a question, um, but I definitely wanted I, I mentioned it. I like seeing stuff like that and reading stuff like that because that means what, what we're doing is working. We are enlightening yeah. people as to why these products are so great and they're wanting to try them. And, of course, like we always say, you won't be disappointed. And if you're disappointed, then definitely reach out to Randy. There's got to be a setting that's not quite right, and that's why it doesn't feel good. I, I promise. That didn't sound very well, good. I mean, <laughs> no, that sounded fine. It's one of those things where that's one of the reasons why I am kind of busy. Right? I mean, I do a lot of things for Tekken as far as like a managed race team. I help with the social media platforms. I answer a lot of support emails that are very technical emails, not just a quick, easy stuff, right? So I definitely help with our, our customer service team and make sure that the information is being spread because we realize that we're not, you know, our, like, for example, the RS Gen 2. The RS Gen 2 can go from anything from a chill drive buggy to a rock crawler the settings are drastically different between those two platforms. So we have a lot of people that we talk to that get confused on the settings because a lot of other companies actually copy our settings, but they don't, they change their verbiage enough to cause concern as far as confusion. You know, what we call one thing might not be what they call it. And so if you had to track, for example, this is again, going back to the rep team, why it's so important is that they're not exactly the same thing. Like for example, just turbo, uh, we go based off of time and, and how much spent the time you're wide open throttle, and then you control how fast it comes in and how much turbo. Another speed controller company might call it, you know, oh, we go off of RPM trigger or throttle, and we call it this, this, and this. And because there's no continuity there, there's a lot of confusion on what the settings do. And, and that's okay. It's just an education process, right? So I'm, I mean, I'm happy to come on the podcast at any time. I, I obviously, you and I have been pretty good about knowing the schedule stuff. So if we need it the more often and we think that's more helpful and the, the listeners want to listen to that stuff, I, I, I'm happy to answer the questions because it's, it's not, it doesn't always have to necessarily just be taken to get me wrong. It'll always kind of be biased that way. But on my website, which I've fallen drastically behind on doing, I used to do a tip of the week that ended up being more of a problem because the schedules. So I turned it to a tip of the month and I just, I had fallen off on that in the past couple of months, but it was amazing to see the simple things like, you know, shock oil and dampening and pistons and why you change them and, and how many people would download that document and read it, you know, to the point of, of just how to like glue short course tires, little, little idiosyncrasy tricks there, for example, where we glue the foams to the wheels and why we do it. And it's one of those things where, why does your car look so stable? Well, cause I do this. Well, what do you mean to do that? Like, yeah, that's, that's how we do that. Well, I've never seen that before. So you only ask one of those things we don't really talk about. <laughs> so it's that kind of stuff where if you can educate the other users and they can share them along with everybody else, and it kind of ends up being tribal knowledge is where the, the hobby gets more fun. So that's going back to why we do these things, why you have a podcast, right? We're looking for that reach and, and, and share that information and knowledge because overall it makes everything better when we're done. The racing's more fun. I hate races where one guy just takes off and blows everybody away just because he's got the best stuff or knows has the most knowledge of the car set up. Yeah, and then won't versus... help anybody at all. Exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think there's there's certain genres of RC racing where they're they're more cloak and dagger with all their setups and their settings, and, and they all know who they are. Versus like me, I, I, anybody who's never known me at the track, if they want to look at my car, I just hand them the car. Just bring it back, right? Just just bring me the car. And, and bring it back when you're done. Just don't take anything <laughs> off of it, right? Are you sure? I'm like, yeah, just take the whole car. Like, uh, you want to copy the setup? Just just take it. Just bring it back before the next round. It's like it's lost the tires or whatever I got to do. And it's funny because people just aren't really prepared for that reaction. 
you know, it's, it's, it's just not, I guess we're just not used to that stuff. It's like, I got nothing to hide. If you can beat me with my car and my setup, then you're a better driver than I, I yeah. would expect it. I'm okay with that. I can handle that. Well, and you know that's I mean? the beauty part. A lot of guys that have helped me and, and showed me stuff are, are those kind of racers. It's, it's, they love being fast, but they love making other guys just as fast or faster. So that way they have guys to race with. Yeah. It's more fun yeah. when everybody's fast than when there's only three or four fast guys and everybody else is slower. So uh, those yeah. guys from the Madison, Wisconsin area that, that have, uh, you know, raced together for so many years. Um, yeah, those, those guys are, are, oh, they're my favorite people in RC. They, they are the part of the reason why I still love going to races wherever they are, because I know getting to interact with them and, and be around them is just such a pleasure. So yeah, don't be that guy. Well, Help everybody. Uh, I've been on the receiving end of this stuff sometime before when I was younger. So like when I started racing touring car for the first time, uh, a lot of guys ran low C's and there was x-rays, which I couldn't afford at the time. So I ran a team associated, I think it was a TC4. I ran the TC4 came out. And we were racing a track called Speed Roll, where Billy Bauer, a good friend of mine, used to own it. And it was a, one of the best on-road tracks on the West Coast, if not the nation. It was just a gorgeous facility. And Barry Baker was there. He was the only associated driver at the track, period. And then he, I ended up hitting next to him somewhat. And he goes, oh, you got an associated car. I'm like, well, yeah. He's like, well, dude, help me try this. Help me try this. He started giving me batteries and tires, trying to do some stuff just because, you know, I, I was a decent racer at the time, so I could tell setup chains were being, doing something with the car. But it was, again, I had a pro driver approach me and help me without me asking for it, right? That was my experience with Barry Baker. So, you know, short for, fast forward now that, you know, I talked to Barry from time to time. So Barry's actually running our equipment right now in his car, and we're talking about some of this stuff. And it's the same, same thing where... It comes full circle to where you talk to these levels of guys that are driving these things, and a guy like Barry Baker who can feel the utmost little tiny infinite adjustment that even I have a hard time sometimes feeling on the track, and being able to work with those guys is pretty amazing because it it's it shows you how much work they put into these things to make the cars that much faster. Yeah, and, and it's cool because you know look at them now. Barry doesn't have to. Barry could get anything handed to him freely. He wanted our stuff because he knows that he can call me with the question and I'll have an answer for him. And that's that's pretty humbling at some point because Barry can do whatever he wanted. <laughs> you know, and it's it's one of those things where Barry was at a track. I think it was Coyote Hobbies at the time, and the guy's like, "Oh well, yeah, you're just you're, your spec R is so fast because you know Randy built it for you." And Barry's like, "No, actually, Randy didn't build this. It came in a box, sealed, like everything else." <laughs> and so that, Barry says, "I'll tell you what." You go buy a spec R off the shelf. I will give you the motor in my car right now. Just go get me another one. Did and the, guy, like, did the really? guy go buy another one? I, I No, I don't think he did. But oh. I, it was Barry's like, dude, I'll give it to you right now. I will give you this motor. Just go get I me I love it. One. I love it. That's a, that that's that put up or shut up kind of deal. It's like, okay, cool. You right. think it's that great of a motor? Just go pick right. up a new I'll give you that one right now. Right, but that, that's the cool part about this that's moving forward is that Barry's that's how confident Barry is in that particular product. Yeah. I, I don't get it give our motors are certified or built or specialized or anything like that at a big race. Sure, hey. I will optimize our stuff for our team guys if they want it. Yeah, I'm sure that was a question, right? Yeah, so it sure is. <laughs> we'll, we'll go into that question next. So basically uh, I will I will get everything I can out of that motor for them at the track. And I will do that with anybody, whether you're a team driver or you're just a Tekken customer. Everyone knows that, right? I will go through your motor just as if you were my top best driver ever at the track. But the fact that it's 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 nothing unattainable, that it's not an unattainable product, you can get anything that our team is using, that's probably why you know Barry can do those things. He's completely confident knowing that 
he's going to get a brand new spec car, never touched it, never did it, put the settings in, it's still going to go fast. That's that's cool. When, when a guy like that has that confidence in the product, that that's you can't pay for that. That's that's what's so awesome about that. And Barry knows that. I, I've told him that in the past. Yeah, go ahead and give it to him. He's like, yeah, it'll be fast, right? I'm like, oh yeah, same stuff. Just put the settings back on, it'll be fine. And that's that's cool. I, I've done that at the April Fool's race. When I won that race, there was a lot of guys making that comment at the track. Oh, we've tried that motor. It's never been that fast. It's always too hot. And I would show them that my car came off at 140 degrees. I even posted pictures on social media about it. There you go. Yeah, Eight, but when you get, when you get the race. gearing wrong on those motors, they get hot and they don't look that fast. Absolutely. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so I, I told them, I'll tell you what. If I win this race, which I did not expect to do, if I win this <laughs> race, okay, I'll leave the motor at the track. Here's how it's geared. This is where it goes in the car. And I'll leave it here so you guys can play with it. I will give it to you. And I did. I left it at the track. And last time I checked, they still have it. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things where it, it's you're welcome to, to do whatever you want. You want to send it off and go get it looked at and make sure it's cheating? Go ahead. And I can put another one in right now and go just as fast. There's nothing special about this motor other than it's a good design. Something and tells me those motors are legitimate, though. I don't know. No, I know. Shocking. They're so legitimate. But, yeah, it was just one of those things where <laughs> they had not taken the time to kind of learn it. And then all of a sudden, it's you know walking past them on the straightaway and it's clearing the triple and no problems and and it's it's, it's definitely one of those things where it's a proper tool you know to learn how to use it. And, and yeah, I did. I left that track that motor at the track and it was one of those things where they just didn't think I was going to do it. But guess what? Pulled it right out of the car, nice and toasty, 140 degrees, came right out of the car with a solder iron. So it's 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 cool because we can say that with all the confidence. It's not the first time we've had that stuff happen before. Oh, you've got special stuff. No, it's not. Here, take it. It sure you. is special because I bought it and put it in there. <laughs> yeah. Special, special, to me. special. Special to my wallet, let me tell you. Hey, yeah. All right. This always, always worth the money. <laughs> okay, so before we get into the, the, the whole uh, certified motors one, let's mm -hmm. get into Ryan Hovis here real quick. What is the difference in gearing when adding boost to spec R motors for when you want to run them in mods? Similarly, how does gearing change for an 8.5 to 10.5 motors when you put the yellow rotor in them? if any at all? Okay, so that's a pretty good question. So I'll, I'll do them in the order. Typically speaking, uh, the spec R does respond pretty well to timing, but you're going to want to do one thing first off, which is if you run your blinking mode timing, so say anywhere between 45 and say 52 degrees, drop that down to about 30 degrees on the can to as a static timing setting, and then start introducing small amounts of boost. I always start guys at 20 to 25 to see how the car responds. And when you go to do that, your gearing is gonna to have to drop about two to three teeth for 48 pitch. Um, and then see how the car runs as far as lap times, power and temperatures. If everything's okay and the temperatures are low and you think the car feels like it's geared okay, go up 10 degrees and boost. And then start getting to the point where you feel the car maybe is a little bit boggy. That means you're geared too tall. Or if the motor starts getting a little bit too hot too fast, you might be geared too tall. Hmm. You're changing effectively the KV of the motor. So let's say for math purposes, a 17.5 turns 2,000 KV at static timing of 30 degrees. If you go to boost it, that motor might be triggering upwards of 3,000 KV or 20 degrees of boost. So you can see the percentage of timing or not timing, but gearing you would have to make a change of. Yeah. So typically speaking, a good rule of thumb is this. On let's say a 17.5, for every 10 degrees of boost, you drop one 48 pitch pinion. Huh. That's a pretty good rule of thumb. And then conversely, if wait a minute, hang on. Let me write. I gotta, I gotta write these things down. Hang on a minute. 
I will never go back and re-listen to it at this point. Okay, so for every how many degrees? Ten degrees? For every ten degrees of boost, you will drop one forty-eight pitch pinion. That's a general rule of thumb, and that's assuming the motor temperatures are reasonable. Okay, and then what's the next? And one? mind you, that mind you, that's with the can timing at thirty. That's the other caveat to that rule. Okay. Because what you do not want to do at any given time, if you can help it, is really get your total timing over 60 degrees for long periods of time. Because in theory, that will cause the motor to run backwards. Now you can get away with it once the motor is spinning at upper RPMs for some other reasons that I won't get into because we're kind of complicated without drawing. But basically speaking, you're, you're, you will generate a ridiculous amount of amp draw and therefore motor temperature the longest amount of time you spend past 60 degrees it's all timing so here's the equation you take your base timing of the can which is static timing that's your motor can timing which is why i say start that at 30. if i go put 20 degrees of boost right on a tekin the default start and our end rpms are 5,000 and 20,000. that means between 5,000 and 20,000 RPMs, 20 degrees of boost will begin of being applied at 5,000 and the full 20 is applied at 20,000, right? So on a 17.5 in Blinky, we're usually hitting around 22,000 to 24,000 RPMs total, right? And that's in spec mode at 52 degrees of timing. So with the 30 on the can, 20 on the boost, you're going to hit that similar top RPM range. But once you start going into say 40 degrees of boost, now you're doing 70 degrees of total timing at 20,000 RPMs and up because the total timing has been applied. That's when you start getting into motor issues where it technically is doing what's called a miscommutation because you're past 60 degrees and you can run the motor backwards a little bit. That's when you guys see the heat problems. You'll see, oh, the motor's like 140, it's 150, it's 155, and all of a sudden it's 210. It's because they overshot timings off and obviously that also that roll of thumb applies with turbo as well so you can do 30 degrees of can 20 degrees of boost 15 degrees of turbo right now my total timing is 65 degrees it will run there it's the amount of it's the amount of the, the problem is spent over 60 degrees during the run can i sustain there will only be certain parts of the track where you're hitting that total 65 degrees of timing for say like half a second you can get away with that but if you're so boosted to the moon and your mechanical timing on your motor is just still at 50 degrees and you're spending the majority of the run at like say 80 degrees of boost going into the motor, you will ruin it. You will destroy that motor and you will get it hot really fast. I, I think I've seen a motor hit 200 degrees in 60 seconds before. Really? Because like I had, had 45 on the can, 50 degrees of boost and 30 degrees of turbo. Jesus. And he wondered why his car was a rocket. It was fast as hell. For 60 seconds. Well, I was just going to say, if you're going to go 132 feet, you got no problems there because that's only like two seconds. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that, and that, so think about that when you're doing the boost that you're effectively changing the KV of the motor. You're taking a motor that's designed to spend 2,000 KV and it might be spending 6,000 KV when you're done. So that's why you have to reduce the, the can, or excuse me, not the can, but you have to reduce the gearing. So you right. have to compensate for the extra RPM. So going to the second question, which is the gearing difference between a 10.5 and an 8.5. Look at the KV of the motor. Like I'm not sure what a KV of a 10.5 is, but let's say it's 6,000 KV. The KV of an 8.5 is probably more around, say, 7,500. That's the gearing percentage you can shoot for. So let's say two-wheel drive buggy, you might gear a 10.5, say, 78.24. An 8.5, you're going to go 78.23, 78.22. You can do the math pretty quickly. 
So just figure out the percentage of the, the KV versus and then do the same percentage change of your gearing, right? So if the KV difference between a 10.5 and an 8.5, say 15%, do a 15% gearing reduction to go from the 10.5 to the 8.5, and that'll get you in the ballpark pretty quickly. There you are. Yeah. And that's assuming the can timing between the two motors is similar. So Good there's luck. lots of variations <laughs> here. Yeah. Part of the hobby. Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's get into the certified stuff because Corey, uh, Corey, I'm not even gonna try your last name, bro. <laughs> I'm just, I, I've been trying to figure it. No, it's just not happening. So Corey wa- goes, why doesn't Tegan sell certified motors like other manufacturers? And and the yeah. one and only, the Prez himself, who didn't he kind of t- tell on himself to Facebook? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So we had this discussion early on. We've had this discussion many times is we understand the certified motor principle. We just don't necessarily agree with it in execution. If you want stock racing or spec racing of any kind to be somewhat standardized versus let me, let me walk this back a bit. We are all for fair competition. Yeah. Right? That's what Tekken's about. That's what we're a part of. It's what we enjoy. That's what racing, racing breeds competition, racing breeds excellence. That's what we're about. But what I don't like having to do is have, you ask yourself this question. If I have a $100 version of the motor and then I have a $160 version of the motor, every racer is going to ask him or her, her himself, what am I leaving on the table for the 60 bucks? What makes that motor, a $60 more cost, additional cost motor, so much better than the $100 version? Nothing. In well, my, in my, don't get me wrong. Percep- Perception, you know yeah. Perception is, I might be leaving something on the table, right? I so because of that, most people will gravitate towards that, and that's fine. The presumption there is, I've invested this in the thing. It's a top of the line motor, so you have the best of everything in it, and and hopefully it does. Okay. That being said, we didn't want to go that route. I wanted every spec R to come out of the box and be capable of winning the Roar National Championships. Case in point, Tyler Hooks went to the Roar Nationals at the Arizona track, right, and showed up and raced. He had had a couple of things for like a 200 car and I think a 13.5 car, but he did not have an extra motor for his stadium truck, and I couldn't ship him one in time because he was traveling to the race, and he wasn't exactly sure of the hotel info. It was kind of this last-minute thing. Right. So basically, he picked up a motor at his local hobby shop, a Tekken Spec R, off the shelf, Bought from who knows where, what distributor. Like, I couldn't even tell you where that motor was from. Other than it was from us at some point, right? <laughs> but in other words, it was not a team motor of any kind. I had not personally touched it. And I touched some of the motors going to Nashville because I would be stupid not to. But that being said, Tyler Hooks TQ'd and won that particular class with a motor he purchased off the shelf at a hobby shop. So that should say it in itself. Why do? Why would you, as an RC hobbyist, now I don't care if you have all the money in the world, why would you want to spend more for a motor that you could be getting for less now? Right. I mean, that's the thing is, but to go back to the original statement, it's the perception, right? uh So, could we do a better version of the Spec R today? The answer would be yes. We've learned tons of things with the Spec R. There's lots of things I could do to it. We have ceramic bearings now for the spec R, wow. so I can put those in the box. I can put those in the motor already installed. You no have problem. ceramic bearings for those things? Yeah. Mm, yeah. I know. I'm going to have to get so, on the website, I think. <laughs> yeah. 
you should pay attention to Facebook. And basically, <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time. But basically, could I do what everyone else is doing with the certified stuff? Yes, absolutely, I could. And the unfortunate part is if I did that, I would absolutely have to charge more for it because now I have to sit there and either myself or teach someone else to do this is that I'd have to go in there and measure every rotor, check the resistance on every stator, shim them, build them, check them for everything, and then probably spin them up on a dyno because most certified motors have a dyno sheet or at the very world, at the very least a data sheet. Now I can do all those things, but and I could probably sell them just fine at 150, 160 bucks a swing. But... I would prefer, me personally, this is not me speaking for Tekin, this is me speaking to you as myself, I would rather sell you a $100 motor and show you how to do this. So I would rather show you how to get the most out of this motor. Sure, can you put ceramic bearings in it? Absolutely. You can buy those as an option, that's your decision to do that. You can invest the 20 bucks in the bearings. Do you have to? No. Yet you can, right? But I'd rather show you how to get that, but the best of that motor. So like we have a spec R motor sheet for it basically looks like a setup sheet, but it's just for motor stuff. And we have those posted on the website and I've shared them repeatedly on my own stuff where I can show you how my April Fool's 13.5 motor was set up. Here's the specs for the motor. Here's how I shimmed it. Here's where I ran the can timing, right? And I can do those things. The thing is, is that we have enough quality control of our stuff to where, as Jim alluded to, 80% of the motors that we make, 80%, would make a certified motor builder spec sheet, 80% of them, right? Now, I can't tell you that, that you know the 20% are the horrible garbage motors because they're not. But for example, it might be one that has a sensor deviation at 3.5 degrees instead of three, whatever the cutoffs are for spec stuff. And everyone's got a different certified number, but I could do those things, right? Now, does that make that motor horrible? No, probably not. Like when stuff to these motors nowadays, they're quote unquote motor tuners, they make absolutely no sense to me. Like, for example, there, there's this huge thing about, oh, I have to shim the motor, I have to shim the motor, I have to shim the motor. For what? Like, our, shimming our motors, it, it doesn't really do much to, to, to the moment. And I can prove this to you on a dyno. Two different ways this way and two different ways this way, and the dyno will not change. So does it do anything on our particular motor? No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't do anything. There's other motor designs out there, for example, that, you know, that you, they tell you, oh, you have to get the most out of this motor, you have to have these special screws. Okay. Well, for that motor, that might be the case. But for a Tekken Spec R... I'm telling you, you can pull that motor out of the box, set it up like I tell you, gear it how I tell you, and you can be as fast as I am on the motor that I might spend 20 minutes hand building. I don't hand build the motors. I just know a combination that works, and that's what I put my car in my cars. And I can do that combination with everything you have in the box of your motor. Just bring me your motor, and I'll set it up like mine, and it'll oh, run the same. I like that. And so that's why we have never done the certified thing. Now, can I tell you that down the road, you might not see, would you see a spec R team version or some other nomenclature for it? Maybe. Because then it might have ceramic bearings. Look at you going to the dictionary nomenclature. Dang. I know, right? But you could do, you could do those things. And so we, we're not against it necessarily, but I would rather, you know, again, it's the whole feed a man, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, show a man how to fish, feed him for his life. Yep. I think there's some education there. And so and we're big about that. Tekin's about that, that, that side of it. So I would rather sell all our customers a $100 spec R motor, show them how to use it, show them how to get the most out of it, then sell them a $160 version and, and tell them that everything else is garbage. It's just a different approach to it all, I suppose. But yeah. if we've obviously had a lot of demand for a certified spec R program. 
And so it's something that we have considered. Jim and I have talked about it off and on. He called me a minute ago. It's probably what we're going to go over. But uh, we're not against it long term. I just don't think it'll be what everyone else is. I think it'll be slightly different. I think there'll be more of like a team version of the motor, which is this is what the team is running. And that way we can roll it around as the team makes changes. You know, we could have them set up. We have common setups for all the teams set up motor-wise. But ultimately, the, the spec cars are just that good in, in overall. And I'm not saying that everyone else's non-certified stuff is garbage, right? Don't get me wrong. I'm sure someone's going to listen to this and be pissed. You know, I'm going to get a, a nasty email from somebody. Oh, no. It's, I, I know. I'm really upset about it. But, you know, I, I, we have working relationships with guys like, like Ernie from Trinity. I've known Ernie for a long time. We have provided speed controllers for plenty of his national championship winning cars and programs we're cordial right there's there's with most of the other companies we're all we have to have that relationship with these guys well, and it's yeah. it's everyone's approach is slightly different right it's, it's white wheels versus yellow wheels you, you make this up about anything but what's nice about the spec r is i can tell you with confidence if, if you want my motor i will give it to you just go give me another one i don't think that other manufacturers can necessarily say that with that kind of confidence but we can i think you're gonna have to add a 13.5 I think for, for us, that's pretty cool. You know what I'm saying? I, I've had guys, oh, you've got cheater software. Cool. Go get a new speed controller. And I've had someone actually do this to me at a race. Oh, really? I've actually had someone take me up on it. He's like, oh, I'll give you mine. Fine. Go grab it. And I, he watched me remove my speed controller. I gave it to him. Didn't touch it. I gave his speed controller, wired it up, and I still whooped his ass. <laughs> I said, like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, you're take it? Are you sure? I'm like, oh, yeah. This is all you. And the worst part was for him is that it was all his buddies were expecting me to say no. And unfortunately, they were all surprised. And I said, yes. I said, yeah, absolutely. Just go give me another one. I'll give you mine. Fine. That'll work. Yeah, is yeah. everything okay with it? Well, it's kind of a little bit. You know, there was a second wrong with the case. I'm like, that's fine. I don't care. I'll recase it. But the actual controller works, right? Like, it's not broken. And they're like, yeah, it works fine. I'm like, cool. And they, I said, like, cool. Well, you've got old software in your controller. So I'm going to update your speed controller in my car. And you guys can watch me do it. And they just sat there and watched me plug on the keyboard for five minutes or whatever it was. That's funny. And I went out there, and the very next round, I still TQ'd. And that's yeah. okay. Right. And then he didn't go any fast. He went a little faster with my speed controller, but only because it had different software in it. He didn't have the latest software. A big deal. But it, it still wasn't, like, revolutionary. Yeah. And that's all. We've also had this kind of joke. Not really a joke. It's actually a true thing. So Jim... Owner Tegan, we got to get him on the podcast one day. You can kick out talking to Jim. Oh, I bet. He's, he's actually busier than I am, if you can believe that. But he, he's, he'd love to talk to you, I'm sure, at some point. But at the very first couple of IIC races that Scotty had back when we did boosting and all these classes, it was, software was always a huge conversation. There was always conversations about cheating this, and this guy has this, and this guy's doing this, and it was, it was just nauseating sometimes. And we got to the point where this one guy, with confidence, he had the meet and greets at Scotty's races. So there's free beers and tacos. Everyone's having a good old time with meet and greets. And he goes, oh, I'm a computer programmer and this, that, and the other thing. And I know you, I could hack in your speed control. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What do you mean you can hack the software? And he's like, I could tell you, I could put in, it'd be like 20 degrees of boost, but it's showing you blinky blinks. So I'll tell you what, I'll pay you $1,000 cash, and I will offer you a job working with us at Tekin if you can hack the software by tomorrow morning. It was probably like 8 o'clock at night, right? This guy's supposed to be an avid hacker, and his, his buddies were like, oh, yeah, he's super good with computers, and fine. If you can get past the first kernel of this software, I'll give you a 1000 bucks and offer you a job. Let alone show me the blinky thing. You've got to show me the blinky thing with Boost. You've got to show it to me. Yeah, you no be, shit. You can't mechanically change the controller. Right? So you can't rewire the LEDs or can't do anything stupid. You've got to change software. 
And again, in a huge crowd of people, everyone's drinking a little bit, so everyone's got a little more courage than normal. And I can say that with confidence. And that is a real thing. I have the ability to go grab a $1,000 cash. If you can show me hack software, <laughs> TXP control, and it works, show it to me. I will give you the cash. Oh, okay? man. So I have had two people try this. Both of them failed. So the bet is this. I will give you a thousand bucks cash money if you can show me hack software to take the speed controller and it operates as you say it does. In other words, it has boost, but it shows blinky mode. Got to do it. And it's got to be on current hardware using regular software, right? Our regular 258 or regular 272. You can hack it all you want, but it's got to show 258, 272, whatever it is. Okay. It's got to be that. It's got to be a legit working controller. If you lose, you have to buy me a coffee the next day. That's the, that's the bet. <laughs> And then you have to apologize publicly at the racetrack. <laughs> both times that happened. So that's actually happened both times. And I got apologies and a free coffee both times. <laughs> nice. Okay, let's let's get a few more. Jim was trying to get a hold of you there. We've got a couple more. So let's try and do these in a little bit rapid-fire situation. We're going to go with uh, Dana Smith. Most other ESC offered... Wow. Most other ESCs offered seem to be OEM'd by the same place. How different... Can they actually be besides software changes? Love my Tekken products, and thank you for the awesome service Tekken is known for. Um, yeah, you can always ask yourself that question. So there's plenty of little tiny random companies coming up with same speed as it inevitably look very similar to each other. So I'll tell you this. I can always verify where they come from based off of not only just the hardware and the speed controller, but how the software looks and is titled. If you go grab a couple of programming boxes, you'll notice that sometimes they have the exact same typos in the words. <laughs> Those are always fun. <clears throat> and you can always tell the OEMs because the, the, the most expensive part of, the, of building a speed controller is going to be the PCB layout. That takes time, that takes hardware, that takes a lot of knowledge, and you can get it wrong very, very easily. So if you open them up and they all look the same inside, chances are they are. Hmm. That being said, if all you can tell the difference is, in other words, the post layout's the same, fan port, program port, onboard button, whatever it is, they are all in a very similar area. And the only thing that looks, makes them look different is the housing, that is the cheapest part to make of a speed controller is the housing. <laughs> so that being said, when you have four of them that all look the same, they're just different colors and different cutouts on the heat sink of the housing, yes, the chances are very good that they all came from the same place. That's why you never, ever see something that looks like a Tekken unless it's a Tekken. That's We've right. seen it knocked off. We've seen an attempt at one being knocked off, and it never meant to market because it just didn't work. It did, it just, it did not. The actual controller did not function. Well, there's a reason why. And we all know the reality. It doesn't matter what kind of hardware you have. If you don't have the software to run the hardware, it's useless to you anyway. That's right. And so there's a lot of things where, again, where we do it all. If we want to make changes based off our team's input, we make changes. And even with our customers' input, we make changes. When everyone was wanting, you know, adjustable reverse delay, cool. We'll oh, that was the greatest thing in the world. And and the best part was, right, it was free. Yeah. So a lot of companies in the past, for example, all my Tekken speed controls that I've owned for the last five years all have that ability to change it now. Hmm. Well, if you go back to the days, back in the old days again, talking come old again, when LRP would come out with new software based on the Quantum projects, for example, they had LRP Quantum, Quantum Two, Quantum Three. The hardware really wasn't changing, but the software did. So if you wanted the latest software, you had to buy the latest version of the controller. You know, again, you look at some of that stuff nowadays; those companies don't exist anymore. You know, I'm not saying that's the exact reason why. It's most certainly not. But we don't go through controllers as frequently as some of the other companies. We, have, we pick extremely good hardware to begin with. 
expecting to get a couple of years out of that product, especially with a speed controller. Well, yeah. yeah as, a, as a consumer myself, the fact that I can have invest 250, 300 bucks in a speed controller and get years out of it while still getting improvements as we go, relate that to a one-to-one -one car company. Good luck. That's what Tesla does. Doesn't have, well, yeah, Tesla, but that's about it. They're the only ones that do that. Yeah. I have a Model S, right? So when I first bought this car, it I would didn't have, never work for me where I live. It works perfectly fine in the snow, actually. So I drive in the snow every day. So basically, it had no memory seats in it. It did not have the upgraded stereo system. It, there was a couple other features, like say, you know, walk around, this, that, and the other thing, whatever it was, right? I got those all pushed to my car for free as software updates. So when I bought my what? car, I didn't have seats. And after a software update, after about three months of running the car, congratulations, we've given you memories. Swear to God. And it's one of those things where you're just like, that's awesome. That's 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 the closest thing I can find to it in a one-to-one -one market where Tekken's doing this thing. It's kind of like your phones, right? Yeah. The operating system gets better and better and better. And inevitably, the hardware runs out of room for that stuff, which is where we're, we're going with the RSX Pro. Yeah. The so RSX that, that means the RS Gen 2 must be next. It's I can neither admit nor deny that the RS Gen 2 may or may not be going to a Gen 3. It's got to, man. That thing, like, I've had mine forever. And again, I can neither admit nor deny that that may or may not be coming to a Gen 3. Are, 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 that's, that's the answer. Isn't, isn't the, the line, we're always working, our commitment to the RC? Yeah. There's lots of them. I, I love that one. <laughs> yeah. What's the next question? <laughs> All right. Next one. On to Tony Newland. What's your take on bigger events that list specific rules for spec racing and they end up only checking some of them? Push the limit uh, uh, slash your luck and risk being labeled that guy or follow all the rules out of respect for the sport. I have my answer and I'm sure I have yours. It's kind of a mess at these races. Yeah, so I'm, Tony's one of those guys I've raced with off and on now for a long time, over a decade. He races out of the, on the Utah track, uh, a couple different tracks out there in Utah, and I've done for a long time, and he knows my answer. My answer would be you don't push it. If there's rules, follow them. That And I can't afford to do that anyways, even as a – in my position, obviously, that would look stupid. I would add this is dumb. But it, to his point, there's lots of races I've gone to when they're, oh, we're going to check this, we're going to check this, and he's right. They only check one or two things. Mm -hmm. I have actually been to specific nationals in my time where I have purposely put my car through a spec class tech check without it being in spec mode and still passed. Okay, so I did that just to see if it would work, and it did, unfortunately. <clears throat> I did not race it that way before anybody even throws a hand up for that. I put it in the right mode. I went through the race. The car and I even brought it up to tech officials that he passed my car, and it shouldn't have passed. But it was doing it to prove a point. And so my point's this. We're at a point right now, in my humble opinion, where spec racing can only get spec too far. There, you can control what you can and eliminate what you cannot. There's certain things you cannot control. One of them, for example, is like tire sauce. You can't control that really. To an extent, you can, but obviously, you'd have to have the tires stay in the building. That's been an issue of previous nationals. Everyone can remember where those were at. So, when it comes to specking, keep it simple. Check voltage. Check the motors. Be prepared to check the software. This is where I get kind of pinched on some of this stuff because you can run software in something that may or may not be approved. And there's plenty of controllers out there that, or even ours, for example, right now, 272 software is technically not ROAR approved. However, it will pass ROAR approval if we submit it. The reason why we haven't is because we've been waiting for the RSX Pro, which will come out with a newer version of that software. Uh, we have to pay money every time. time. Yes. Right? So, and for every controller. So business-wise, it's not smart. This is why when you have 272 in your hotwire, you'll see that you still have access to 258. 
258 is ROAR approved, and you can put them in there. So our thought process on this is if, if your speed controller blinks as a manufacturer, you are saying this will pass any testing where blinking is required which is why we really, we go ahead and put out 272 for consumers to use it. At the club level, no one's looking at software, and they shouldn't be, right? It should be assumed that it's good. At a big race, they should be checking those things. And like at the April Fool's race where Tony and I were racing, they check for weight, they have the boxes, they're checking for dimensions of the cars really quickly, they're checking battery voltage, all those things are being checked. If they want to check the motor, and they always have that option, they reserve to use it, and all the top three cars were not allowed to be touched by anybody but the race officials or the quarter marshals after the race was over. That way no one could touch them and like change a speed controller profile, right? You also reserve why we can't run Wi-Fi modules or Bluetooth modules in the cars while they're on the racing surface. You can do it for practice, but you can't do it in qualifying. You can't do it in any of the races. Same reason. No, that so, totally makes sense. <laughs> right, it totally does, right? So it, it's one of those things where... The tech stuff gets handled pretty well. You go to big races like Scotty's races, the IIC and ISC, there's a reason why nobody complains about tech there because they know they're going to catch you. There's not going to be any cheating at that race. It's not going to get caught. Those guys are not screwing around. And to be thrown out of a race at that level, you're just going to look like a moron. You're never going to come <laughs> yeah. back. Yeah, right? you'll so definitely be that guy. You are definitely that guy. And nobody <laughs> likes that guy. I mean, I've seen some pretty amazing stuff done. I've seen someone overlay an LED board over the top of our Tekken RS Gen 2 layer board to show a blinking LED even though he had boost. And I was easily caught because my first question went to the race guy was, once they had me on the phone, it was like a Saturday afternoon. I told him, okay, you have the car in front of you? Yes. Okay. All I want you to do is unplug it while the car is on. Unplug it from the receiver. What does it show you? Oh, just the one, there's just three lights blinking. I'm like, okay, then he's tampered with it. Well, how do you know that? I said, well, because it should flash all seven lights because that's the fault for no receiver signal. I said, open up the controller. I guarantee you that he's messed with it. Sure enough, there was. And that guy was thrown out for the rest of his life at that particular wow. racing organization. So, but, but why? Why? Because you're stupid. Oh, my goodness. Um, that's the only, um, <laughs> Did your wife just give you that, like, did you really just say that? Yeah, she did. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things where at, at, at the big races, the, 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 the tech needs to be quick, efficient, fun, and everyone needs to know what's there. That's what keeps the race fun. If you guys, if someone starts over-teching or something like that, you can see problems. But the biggest thing is check the big stuff. If you can't control it, try to eliminate it. Yeah, It's that sure. simple. Yeah, like they did a great job at that race, at the April Fool's race, where they didn't let you charge over, I think it was 10 amps. That was it. That was the number. And so to control that, if you had an eye charger, and I had one, you weren't allowed to have your resistor bank on the table. It could not be there. You had to have it off. Couldn't be in the pits. Hmm. Because he did it. Yeah, of course. And so Murph, Murph, who runs that track, says, I, I want them gone. Period. Yeah, if I see them, I'll help you pack your stuff up. See you later. And Scotty does the same thing. Yeah. So Scotty might have a 20 amp charger on. He walks by your charger and if he sees any over 20 amps, he unplugs it and he talks to you about it later. So not only do you get caught, you might not even have a charged battery for your next run. <laughs> and, and Scotty's not taking a crap from nobody either. Mm -hmm. That's He's very, very blunt about that and right up front. That's what Tony's kind of alluding to is at some point, like, you know, the, the, the cool thing is, is and he, where he's particularly, that's a huge group of guys. They've been racing for a long time. Cool for the, for the younger guys being around those guys because they've been there. They've done all those things. And that's why they have such a good group of racers out in that area. But it's, it's at the big races. I wish the tech was done a little bit differently sometimes. Some do it better than others, obviously. But that's where I'm getting at where, in my opinion right now, spec racing is not as spec as it could be. 
And that's where if, if I was in charge of the world at that point, I would change the things a little bit just to make oh, it more fun. Yeah. All right. So. Dallas Millward. This one should be easy. We've kind of <laughs> talked about drag break already. He goes too late for questions. Of course, it's never too late. As long as we're here and on the page and we're recording, we'll ask them. I'm chasing starting points for the new drag bra- for the new drag brake for two wheel drive, ten point five, four wheel drive, six five, and e buggy nineteen hundred kV. So I guess he's trying to kind of figure out where where the money zone yeah. might be for those. Um. So let's see, I can kind of do this backwards, right? So let's start with the eight scale. So I run a Mugen MBX eight eco buggy. I run a 1900 KV on 4S. I run a somewhat unique setup where I run two shorty 2S Protec packs. So my car is very much a little bit more forward than a typical car would be, oh. I suppose. So to give that in context, um, I run 32 on that car okay. uh, on a dirt surface. So that's why when I get like Silver Dollar Raceway out of Amy and Chico, for example, is where I typically run the car. Um, that gives you like a J Concepts um, Triple D and Blue compound to give you some more context there. 30 to 32 is where I run that. Um, on my four-wheel drive car, if I am on dirt and I do run a 6.5, I'm probably right around 25 to 28 uh, with a 6.5. And then on a f- two-wheel drive car, I don't run a 10.5. But if I did, it's probably right around 15 to 20, maybe up to 22. But try it. It depends on your grip. It depends on your driving style. Those should give you some good starting points to, to try that stuff out. Eight scale is actually really fun with active drag brake. That is, mm. that is, that is borderline cheating. all right rob king goes randy pike is it true redheads have no soul yes it's absolutely true (laughs) (laughs) all right uh zach i'm going with idaker idaker yeah idaker local academy Mm -hmm. cool would you recommend a pro 2 hd4 pole over a gen 3 in a two-wheel drive short course why or why not pros and cons same question for the techno et410 thanks not sure if it's too late yeah. Um, so we make a couple of different motors. So for a competition level racing, if you're ever going to go to like a roar sanctioned race, you can run a four pole sensored motor in specific classes. I think two of our short course, you're allowed to run them. Um, and that's what the Pro 2 was originally designed for, not just for racing, but just some fun. The Pro 2 motor is phenomenal. It's four pole. It's got a slightly smaller diameter rotor than, say, the Pro 4 motor does, so it's more specific for two-wheel drive. It's got a little bit less torque, a little bit more revving. It is hilariously fun to drive in a two-wheel drive four-wheel truck, but it is usually grossly overpowered, so I don't tend to recommend it all the time. Um, so I would typically run a Gen 3, 6.5 or 7.5 in a two-wheel drive short course for me. Uh, if you're going to go for a Pro 2, either go with the 5100 KV. Um, there is... I'm trying to think of the wines off the top of my head right now. That's why I don't have memorized. There is a 4100 kV Pro 2 motor as well, I believe. That one's a pretty good motor to drive, and it's very similar to a 7.5, but it has more torque. That motor is hilariously fun to drive on a 200 short course truck, as long as you've got the grip. Um, so, like, on AstroTurf and stuff, it's hilarious. The Dirt Oval guys actually run that motor quite a bit. I bet, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very popular in that class. Uh, now, for the Techno ET410 10-scale Truckee, I typically recommend the, the 5100 KV Pro 2 on with an RX-8 or an RX-4. I do know, however, that the guys who've, who've had the 4, uh, 4600 Pro 4 swear by it. Um, the, the biggest difference between the Pro 2 and the Pro 4, one is the diameter of the rotor. The Pro 4 is bigger than the Pro 2. The other di- big difference, actually, is the shaft. The Pro 2's got your standard 8-inch shaft, so you can still run 48-pitch pinions. You can get the 32-pitch pinions that are pretty standard with 8-inch shafts on them. Versus if you go Pro 4, nowadays, of course, you can find the 5 mil shaft and 32-pitch stuff. Uh, But back in the days, it was harder to do. And they do feel different. 
Uh, the Pro 2 is probably a little bit smoother than the Pro 4. The Pro 4 is insane. Oh, yeah, it's, they're nuts. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous rip. And so <laughs> those those cars are, are hilarious to drive. Um, I, I think that Techno's got a really cool car on that on their hands with that particular car. They're fun, I agree. they're fast, they're easy to drive, even outdoors. They look hilariously amazing to me. Um, and I think that I would be hard-pressed not to put a Pro 4 in mine just for the giggle factor. <laughs> it would be, it'd be, hard, it'd be too much fun. Um, the biggest concern I have with them long-term is that if you're going to run a Pro 4 or Pro 2 even in those cars, the 2S shorty that you put in that car needs to be top shelf or you will puff them. I guarantee you'll puff it. And here's the context. A Pro 4, 4,600 kV motor is a one and a half turn motor. So the amp draw on a thing, potential wise, is huge, huge. So that's why like the RX-8 needs to come and play when that car happens because it's a one and a half turn motor. So compared to like I say, a 6.5 Gen 3, the amp draw is not even in the same ballpark, which is also why the power is not even in the same ballpark. The 6.5 is great. It's fast, but the Pro 4 is a monster. It's just not the same. Perfect. There it is. There's yeah. your cans. All right. Last one. Mm-hmm. Chris Bedwell. You're not too late, Chris. But he goes, uh, hope I'm not too late for the questions, but is there maybe an idiot's guide on how to read the data log? I've tried reading it, but honestly don't know what I'm looking at. At or for looking at or for two what the heck homie what i'm looking at or for to improve thank you that i i'm just reading it verbatim got it um so yeah if you go to the teakin page which i will go to really quickly and find out where that's at because we just had a huge page update yeah it looks all fancy pant now yeah it does tie to a really good job yeah if you go to the hot wire page tab on the main page and then go down to where it says data logging which is five steps down It'll show you the hotware data logging. There's literally a user's guide on what to look for, and I give you a couple instances on what I'm looking for. For example, say a 17.5 touring car is an example that we were looking at. That particular example is actually pulled from the IIC when we were the, the SpecGT handout system. And we were comparing gearing from one car to the other, and there's also an instance where a motor fan was drawing too many amps. And it's affecting his battery voltage. So there's a couple instances there. Um, there's also, if you keep scrolling down, I believe, uh, looks like that. she's moved it. Um, if you go to Tekin's YouTube channel, there was a live Google Hangouts video I did at A Main Hobbies in their um, conference room where I had 20 people in a Tekin clinic and I actually streamed it and we went over data logging and went over some questions. So I would say go to the website first. We'll go over that data logging document and how to. And there's stuff that's all highlighted for voltages and RPMs and stuff. And then um, go to the, the Hangouts and review that. Um, video. It's about 40 minutes long, I think, if I remember correctly. And that should have quite a bit. Um, at the same time, if you do have questions, you're obviously always free to email us um, and, and get some more help on this stuff. So, I mean, I, and I do have racers, you know, some of the regional guys that they'll go run their car and ask you to look at their data logs. And so to do that is pretty simple. You can just go clear your log, go run your car, make sure you've got a good, you know, everything set up on it, batteries charged all nine, go drive your car at race pace. And then once you're done, you can download that a file from your speaking tron, email it to me. And then you can tell me what you're looking to improve on or see if I, if you can email it to me and see if I see anything wrong or if I can just look at the data log and see what adjustments I might make to the car, gearing-wise or, or, or otherwise. And um, there's a lot of stuff in that data log which I don't think people understand or they don't take advantage of. And when you're chasing down those few critical tenths of a second of a lap time, 
it's a mistake not to utilize it. I can tell you with confidence that the guys at the IIC and the IOC use it all the time. Um, and I was going back and forth with those guys uh, via email looking at some of the data logs that they provided us to, to get the best out of the car. Because I can tell you if your car's overgeared just by looking at the data log most of the time. And that's something that we see a lot of people do. It's just simple overgearing. Just because their buddy runs that gearing and he's fast. The car's changed too much. You know, my, my drivetrain might be more free than your drivetrain. Or your driving style is different than my driving style. That's all it takes sometimes. So um, I, I've seen guys have really crappy batteries. Show me a data log. My car is slow. That's because your battery sucks. <laughs> you know, and I'll, well, why do you say that? I'm like, well, look at your starting point here. At, at the 60-second mark, your battery is 835. And then 60 seconds later, your battery's dipping into 7 volts. And it's a stock car. That's not normal. So this is your battery's garbage. And I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, your battery's horrible. Like, this needs to get changed. And they'll go change the battery, and they'll email me a week later going, yep, that's exactly what it was. My battery, I just thought my batteries were good, but I guess they were really bad. And it's like, yeah, well, there you go. It's, it's a in my humble if you're a hardcore stock racer, it is a mistake not to look at data logs. You can see your voltage over over the 60-second run. You can see your throttle on time. So, for example, if you think you're a little bit inconsistent and you're not sure if you can make a setup change, you can look at your laps repeating on the data logger to see if you're consistent enough with your throttle. Because if you're consistent with your throttle, it means your car is consistent. Oh. Right? I can hit the same timing points, same braking points, same throttle points if it's consistent. That's something that like, I don't understand. If you're, you're not sure if your motor is getting too hot too fast, you can see that. But presuming that your motor has a sensor in it for us to read, and Tegan's obviously do. Some of the other, other ones do as well, but not all of them. But I can see if that motor gets super hot, super quick, and it fades, then I can go then and go, okay, my motor's getting too hot, too fast. And then I need to go look at my gearing. Is my gearing too tall? Chances are that it is, hmm. right? But I can go look at those things. And that's what I'm getting at when <clears throat> there are instances, for example, in the Sky GT class when we look at the Vegas race, this guy had two... 25 millimeter fans blown on this motor. And this is that class where there's a gearing limit. So we're not even working these motors hard. When he laid his car on the track, his car's his battery voltage is 8.4 volts. And this is in the data logger on the website. This is why we did it. By the time he did his sighting lap and got ready to start the qualifier, his battery voltage dropped below 8 volts. He didn't even drive wow. the car. The fans were driving, were drawing over half an amp. Uh, so were they good fans or were they? <laughs> no, they weren't. They were crappy fans. But the point was, was that the fans didn't even need to be needed on the car because we weren't getting the motor hot. The hottest the motor I ever got was 110 degrees. Right. I don't even need the fans. So to prove it to him, because he thought my his handle system ever. It's practice. You've got time. Unplug. Leave the fans in the car so you don't have to make any setup changes. But just unplug them, and then we're going to check your data logger. And sure enough, he went and did it. He improved his his seating time by 30 spots and his battery voltage did not drop at all between his start lap and his sight lap. It was exactly the same. Huh. And of course he, he went three tenths of a lap faster. All because of fans that were drawing too much current. And so I look at those things. So for example, there might be times where I don't run a fan in my two or a buggy. If I'm not working the motor that hard on the track, I want the voltage. So I will unplug it. Losing my lap times based off of motor temperature, I might be getting a better lap time with higher voltage. Yeah, which, which totally makes sense. Yeah, I never, I right. never really thought of trying that. Well, which is why, for example, in the stock classes, you want to run the biggest battery MAH wise, milliamp hour wise, that you possibly can, while still making your race weights and getting your car set up correctly. Right. Mm -hmm. This is why you don't see competition stock guys run the, the micro 2s packs, the 3600s or the 4000s. That's why we don't run them, because if the, if the race is only five minutes. 
my voltage will be lower on the 3600 pack than it will be a 6100. Yeah, I'm pretty sure mine are 4250s. Max right, so for example, yeah. right, so on, if that was the case, let's say we're running an 8-minute race, your voltage is going to be sub-7 volts, maybe 7.2. If you had a bigger battery, like say a 6100, you might be barely under like say 7.8. Your car will be faster at the end of the track. At the end of the race. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you, but I find that my cars are actually some of the the ones that last the lot. Like, we usually run, like, seven-minute mains, mm-hmm. like, for A mains anyway, and I never have a... Uh, I'm, I'm usually the guy that can and, and run for three or four minutes prior to... You know how sometimes you go to those races, like, they're kind of... You know, they get let you have warm-up time, and then something happens, mm-hmm. and they don't really close the track, so you just keep driving because, yeah. you know, you get into that m- mode. Yep. Yeah, I'm the guy that can do that and still run a seven-minute main and not at the end of that seven minutes go, uh, that was a mistake. Because for whatever reason, I've been fortunate that my stuff, I don't buy inexpensive stuff. I buy the better stuff because I want to make the most out of my short time that I have to drive it at the track. Mm-hmm. And then I'm always constantly looking to make it as efficient as possible as far as gearing and everything else because the happier everything is electronics-wise, cooler, but fast, the better it is for... for the all-around general, you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. well, that's what I can. This, this that's can a be really big battery, though. <laughs> I can prove this to you with the data log, though, right? So I do data logs in your lap times. Yeah. And I'm not saying there aren't instances where the lighter packs. So if your car is at minimum weight, right, with the small pack, and then we go to put a big pack in, it, now your car is 80 grams <coughs> over. There's a there's a weight loss there that I need to deal with. Oh, see, but I'd be okay because I run foam tires, so I'm at, actually at an advantage. So technically, I have a ton of weight added to my car as it is. Right, and so for example, my 17.5 car most of the time has a 6100 in it because typically, if I ran a 4900, I'm underweight by about 40 grams, so I'd have to add the weight anyway. So granted, I get to choose where that weight goes, but typically we put it under the battery anyway. So I typically, you know, run the 6100 because I want the extra voltage. But again, this is things you can learn from the data logger. Yeah. But you know, I use a data logger to see if my if my car is feeling good, but I think I'm still off pace, or if I know I'm off pace, I will go look at the data logger just to see if I'm hitting the same points consistently on the track. Even though I might, I think I do, and I'm, as a driver, I think I'm doing it. I can look at the data logger and see if my throttle inputs are the same. If they're if they're close, cool, then I'm good. But if they're not close at all and they're drastically different, then my car setup's not as good as I think it is. Right. Yeah, no, no. I hear what you're saying there. Now now you have me looking at batteries. Damn it, Brandon. <laughs> well, folks, I think we're going to call this a show over two and a half hours. <laughs> Every time Randy comes on, this happens. So guess what, folks? Enjoy it. You're only going to get some on the goes in between now and the next big one because this is a huge one. We actually, actually, I want to have Rick Seffrood on from Gone Band and Racing Skins on the next episode. So make sure you guys tune in for that. Thank you, of course, for all the support. Thank you to companies like Tekin, MKS Servos, Max Amps, Cow RC. Uh, hang on, let me turn my head and look. Gone Banana Racing Skins, Gropner, and, and of course, uh, Randy and it, for, for coming on the show and, and being a, a multi-visiting guest. And every time you come on, you have a, a wealth of information. And I know this is a long one, but everybody's going to end up loving it because there's just there's so much information. So it's great. So yeah, I want to no, say I'm thanks, man. Come on. Yeah, for sure. Anytime. And like I said, it's, it's cool. I like giving back to the hobby, giving back to the sport, and obviously spreading the good word. It uh, makes everything better. makes racing more fun. There you heard it right there. Save that quote. Somebody type it out and then put the Randy Pike as, as the author of it, okay? Somebody do that. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the NBN Podcast. I'm Matt, your host. Thanks for joining me again, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Later.